can uh, start the evening off. It's all yours. Excellent. Oh, wait, but he has to start. My, I, I opened up his mic. Are you talking? Are we talking? Uh-oh. Yes, we're waiting for an introduction here. Yes, we're waiting for an introduction. That's yes. right. So we have Mike Gilthalion. Oh, I can't. I'm, my eyes can't read. <laughs> I probably got that completely wrong. Mike Gilthalion? No, that is, looks right. Your mic, your mic is open, so take it away. Law. Yes. Yes, that is kind of the thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's open on this end. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we are juggling a fair large number of, fairly large number yes. of technologies here. We are indeed. We are indeed. Yeah, sorry. We are uh, so we are we are being uh, we are being hosted here tonight. We are, I am uh, happy to be on the Arkenstone server. This is the first time I've ever come to the Arkenstone server, and uh, I'm happy to be to be hosted here by uh, uh, by the, the the rare breed kinship here this evening. Uh, very very kindly invited us here to Arkenstone to join them today. Um, uh, I am. So <laughs> Sorry that we're not able to to hear the introduction. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I think we'll just have to. Uh, uh, I think I think we'll have to. Yeah, we're having a we're we're having an issue there. So uh, sorry about that. I think we'll just have to we'll just have to to carry on. Um, so I will say welcome. Thank you. Um, thanks uh, everybody for joining us. Glad you could come back for week three of exploring the Lord of the Rings. Looking forward to actually finishing. And I think we may actually finish chapter one tonight. So that's a pretty significant accomplishment for us here, I think, here uh, in this new endeavor. Um, one uh, really quick um, announcement I wanted to make at the beginning, because it's totally announcement-worthy, um, uh, is Tom Shippey's seminar. I don't know if you've, if you've heard about this, but uh, Tom Shippey is doing his seminar on Beowulf and Tolkien. Um, he had his first one last Thursday. There are two more sessions to come uh, this uh, this coming Thursday, so two days from today, and then next Thursday is the third and final one. Um, and he's looking at sort of the, the, the development of Tolkien's Beowulf uh, thoughts and his relationship with Beowulf over the course of his career. Um, this is just, if you've never heard Tom Shippey talk, you absolutely owe it to yourself to, uh, to tune in. It's such a rare opportunity. Um, so I, I, uh, I just, I can't recommend it enough last uh uh last week's uh session was just uh was just wonderful so uh, I hope you'll be able to come. If you want to know how to join us and where, go to our website, signumuniversity.org. Uh, and if you scroll down just a tiny bit, you will see our, our banner with the different events, and you'll see the Beowulf picture. And uh, that page will give you the link to register for the session. We do it through our webinar uh, uh, system, 
um, so you can log into the webinar and tune in. If you have missed last week or are not able to join live, the time is 4 p.m. Eastern time, because, of course, Dr. Shippey is over in England, so it's at a Europe-friendly time, which I know is good uh, for many of our European, our long-suffering European listeners, uh, you know, who, and I know that I always, or so very often anyway, schedule my things uh, late in the night, Eastern time, and I regret that my own... Uh, personal life and family life kind of necessitates this is really the only time I can do this without interruption uh, so that's why I that's why I teach now and I, though I know it's inconvenient for our, our faithful European friends um, but anyway Tom Shippies is at a European friendly time 4 p.m. Eastern time if you can't make it the recording will be posted the recording of last week is posted so that uh, that should be that should be that should be fine so okay um, I all right. Okay. So, oh, is that uh, is, is your mic open now, M- Megothalian? I don't think so, but I do have the intro. Oh, okay. If you would like me to come up and be the voice of Rare Breed. Hopefully, people don't mind if I do that. Rare Breed has the pleasure and honor of welcoming, profe- welcoming Professor Corey Olson, also known as the Tolkien Professor, President of Signum University, Podcast Books. Podcast and podcast, and the author of Exploring J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, Mythgard series that focuses on exploring books selected by viewers. Some really in film project, discussion for hardcore geeks of a totally theoretical TV adaptation of Tolkien's Silmarillion. It's pretty hardcore. Starring, and it stops there, but we could say starring you! Tolkien Maven, yay! <laughs> Along with Corey and with our illustrious third part party. Dave Gale. That's All right. All of that stuff is up on the uh, the uh, Signum website. But uh, thank you to Rare Breed for um, for hosting us tonight. And also, I believe they were passing out pipe weed, which is even just terrific. So awesome. we should be having a party tonight. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you for being such good hosts here today on Arkenstone. Uh, today, at so and of course, as we always do, we're going to have book discussion here at the beginning. Uh, I know that some people have been kind of, you know, I, I, I've seen some responses like on the... Uh, uh, on the, the, the Locho forums and stuff, like, is this a game event or is this not a game event? This is both. This is a book discussion, uh, uh, you know, in which we're, we're sort of beginning with and engaging with people in the game. But then, of course, it's also a game discussion as we're going to be looking at first the book uh, and spending most of our time quite unapologetically on the book and then spending the end of each class time uh, looking, doing a do, doing a field trip, and it's not just a random field trip. Of course, what, what we're what we're wanting to do is first look in careful detail at the story that Tolkien is telling and the world that he is subcreating, and then look at the work of adaptation that uh, the Lotro folks have done in building the game world. Because I am uh, so uh, uh, so very impressed. I just I've been so moved so many times um, by what a great job uh, they have been doing uh, at Lotro in really engaging with Tolkien's story. And I've been finding actually going back, of course, I've been playing the game now for a while. It's only been two years, which I know is nothing compared to many of you here, I'm sure. But um, but I've been playing for almost two years, and I've been streaming and uh, and doing events in game for a while. So I've been been talking at and looking through. You know, of course, those of you who have been following my, my Lotro stream on Friday afternoons know that I've taken my Hobbit Grifflet all the way from, uh, from level one now through, I'm a, what, 59, I think now, uh, getting up through volume two tracing the epic quest line and thinking about it and its relationships to the book. But yet, even just in the first two weeks that we've done, 
um, uh, in exploring the, the Lord of the Rings, looking at the game really side by side with the text in the way that, that, that we're doing in this class, I've found uh, really interesting. And there are things that I've noticed, not just about the game, but even about the books themselves in doing that, that I find really rich. So I hope that um, everybody will be able to kind of uh, sort of sympathize with the project there and, and understand the two different parts. They're not equal parts. Um, my, the proportion that I search for, that I, that I, that I, 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 I reach for is about 75% book discussion, 25% uh, game discussion. But that's, uh, that's, that's, that's fine. We've, we've been doing reasonably well on that. So anyway, um, that with, that's the end of my, uh, uh, let's see. And I think I'm hearing a sound. I don't know. Maven, is that you that I'm hearing? I'm hearing somebody's uh, background noise. I want to make sure what we're getting there. Um, I don't know whose mic is on, but um, anyway. Okay, cool. Um, so, all right. Um, and, and, and of course, just another reminder for those of you who are new, if you're watching on Twitch, uh, you're, you're welcome to listen. You'll get the whole class. You'll see the text and, and, uh, uh, and everything that'll be, um, um, That'll be that'll be totally fine. Um, if you want to participate, if you want to, uh, I'm going to be uh, seeking observations and asking questions and things. Really interested to hear your responses to the passages of text we're going to be looking at. Um, if you go within, if you so, if you want to actively participate in the class, go to our Discord channel. Uh, the address will be posted there on the Twitch chat. You'll be able to see it there, and uh, if, so you will go to the Laura Hall questions for Corey uh, channel. That channel is not for discussing amongst yourselves, just for communicating with me, so that I, I'm able to track with that. Okay, if you want to talk with each other, you can use the Twitch chat for that. I would ask also that people who are in the game uh, try to uh, try to keep. Um, uh, uh, the uh, large-scale emotes and area-of-effect spells and stuff like that uh, to a minimum to keep from uh, distracting other people or uh, driving me into a seizure, uh, and we'll all be good, and everybody will be happier for it. So uh, so thanks. I see people uh, posting things in Lore Hall Questions for Christ. I see Thor Ward and Pumpkin Muffin with your test notes there, so I'm, 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 I'm on that there, and that's all working. So let's get started talking about um, talking, going back to chapter one. This is, as I've said, our third session on chapter one. In the first session, we were looking at Hobbit culture generally, our sort of focus, our, our featured segment of the chapter, and that was the conversation between Ga- the Gaffer Gamgee uh, and Sandy and the Miller and Old Noakes of Bywater. Um, the second class, we were looking specifically at what I call the continuing story, um, uh, the continuing story of, uh, of, uh, of Bilbo Baggins. And we were looking at the introduction of Bilbo and how Bilbo's story is placed and the way in which the emphasis on Bilbo's story has changed, how the world has kind of been changing since The Hobbit and looking, of course, ending up with, uh, with Mad Baggins at the end, we sort of cheating over into the first paragraph of, uh, of, of chapter two, um, and uh, yeah, so uh, 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 Simon, there there is chat in Twitch as well as in Discord. The thing is, I can't promise to follow the Twitch chat because the Twitch there people chat. I want to allow people to talk to each other, uh, and that's fine. But I can't. I it's there are too many people for me to be able to follow that really closely. So I'm only going to be focusing on trying to follow the Discord chat. So that's why that should be focused on uh, focused on just uh, everything you say being directed to me. Uh, uh, particularly there. Okay, so um, today 
we're going to do the sort of the central piece of action of the uh, of of chapter one. At least what I would argue is the central action of chapter one. And uh, in some ways, so somewhat surprisingly, I would say that the central action of the of chapter one, the long expected party, is not in fact the long expected party, um, but in fact what we come to be told very soon afterwards was the thing that the whole long expected party was premised on right what was the point of it uh and of course it's it's the central drama of chapter one which is bilbo's relinquishing of the ring which is kind of a big deal uh so i have uh, i have called this class bilbo's claim to fame um because as gandalf is going to say later on bilbo alone in history gave up the Ring of Power. What Bilbo succeeds in doing in this chapter um, is never accomplished by anyone else ever. Not only before this time, but after either. Bilbo will remain and be forever the only person ever voluntarily to relinquish the Ring of Power once he had it. So it's kind of a big deal, right? Um, and uh, I want to look at how that happens uh, because that scene, I think, is uh, is really important. Yes, apart from Sam, it's true. Sam is going to relinquish it. We don't want to diminish Sam. You're totally right. Um, I would normally be the very last person uh, to uh, diminish the, uh, uh, the 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 action of Sam. Sam, of course, had the very great advantage of only having the Ring of Power for like a few minutes. Even then, of course, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. But he wasn't even really the possessor of it totally. Like, he's... Uh, but anyway, it's... it's. I know it was more than a couple minutes. I was exaggerating. But anyway, anyway. anyway. Fine. Okay. Sam 2. But uh, it's not exact. We'll get there. We'll totally get to talking about Sam 2. Um, my point is... Bilbo's giving up the ring is a really big deal. Right? Um... <laughs> D. Schwab says, what about Tom Bombadil? Yeah, technically, Tom Bombadil was holding the ring. Well, technically, Gandalf is going to hold the ring, too, in this chapter. But uh, 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 st- stop picking nits. We're going to get there. Don't worry. We'll talk about all these things. Um, but, uh, uh, but anyway, um, as I said, the point is that uh, Bilbo's giving up the ring is a really big. Can we agree that Bilbo's giving up the ring is a really big deal? And then we'll and then we'll move on to uh, to, <laughs> to, to talking about it. Sheesh. Okay. All right. Um, let's uh, let's let's look at the beginning of the scene. So this is right after the party. Right, Bilbo has just vanished. He was never seen by any hobbit in Hobbiton again. He walked briskly back to his hole and stood for a moment listening with a smile to the din in the pavilion and to the sounds of merrymaking in other parts of the field. By the way, this is a thing that I think that we often kind of forget. Remember, it's only the special family dinner party that even hears the speech or sees the disappearance, right? Um, and, uh, uh, um, and... The rest of the party's going on. So I, 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 I love this little reminder that throughout the party field, right, there's still raucous party and celebration happening everywhere, and most of them don't have any idea what happened, right? It's only the gross, right? It's only the, the 144 of them um, who, uh, who, who even know about the thing, which is kind of an interesting little, uh, uh, little reminder. And by the way, please do make observations um, about this... Um, about this passage, you know, always whenever I'm reading is a good opportunity for you to just kind of note things that jump out at you um, as you're uh, as you're as you're hearing and seeing the passage. Anyway, okay, uh, okay. Uh, then he went in. 
He took off his party clothes, folded up and wrapped in tissue paper his embroidered silk waistcoat, and put it away. Then he put on quickly some old untidy garments, and fastened round his waist a worn leather belt. On it he hung a short sword and a battered black leather scabbard. From a locked drawer, smelling of mothballs, he took out an old cloak and hood. They had been locked up as if they were very precious, but they were so patched and weather-stained that their original color could hardly be guessed. It might have been dark green. They were rather too large for him. He then went into his study, and from a large strong-box took out a bundle wrapped in old cloths, and a leather-bound manuscript, and also a large bulky envelope. The book and bundle he stuffed into the top of a heavy bag that was standing there, already nearly full. Into the envelope he slipped his golden ring and its fine chain, and then sealed it, and addressed it to Frodo. At first he put it on the mantelpiece, but suddenly he removed it and stuck it in his pocket. At that moment the door opened, and Gandalf quickly came in. Okay. Um, what do you notice? What do you notice? Now, uh, one little comment that I would make here at the beginning. If, if exactly this happened in a movie, people would be saying, oh, that's such shameless fan service. <laughs> right? You know they would. Um, but you see, of course, the shameless fan service that's going on here. Let me ask that question in a slightly less inflammatory way. Um, you see what Tolkien is doing in this scene with this, many of the details that he describes, right? Um, this is a passage, of course, which gives us some kind of information, some kind of interesting... And if, we're, if, we're, if this is the first Tolkien book we've ever read, right, it gives us some kind of interesting information, right? Um, uh, that is, it, 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 you know, we, we, we get a little bit of context. But many of the things that it says are not going to mean all that much to us, right? But if we've read The Hobbit, and we've read The Hobbit carefully, uh, we will get a lot of references here, right? Um, We may remember, and I was arguing last time, of course, that uh, Tolkien is very carefully paralleling Chapter 1 of The Fellowship of the Ring, or sort of connecting it back to Chapter 1 of The Hobbit, right? Last week I was talking about several ways in which Tolkien is kind of putting those two chapters side by side. Um... Having done that, right, if we're remembering chapter one of The Hobbit, we'll remember that it was a really big deal the moment that Bilbo first imagined himself wearing a sword, you know, uh, wearing a sword instead of a walking stick, right, when he goes out. And here we have him in Bag End putting on a sword, right, in a battered black leather scabbard, in an old, worn, used scabbard, right? So we see Bilbo taking up his sword again. We see Bilbo you know, going off on the path of adventure, the sword was, was even in Bilbo's mind a kind of symbol of the adventurous life originally, right, in, in, in The Hobbit. Um, and then more, uh, what does he have in Mothballs? Uh, you guys know exactly uh, what he has uh, in Mothballs. Oh, it, what's a waistcoat? Uh, a waistcoat, of course. It's pronounced waistcoat. Um, just like V-I-C-T-U-A-L-S is pronounced vittles, um, W-A-I-S-T-C-O-A-T is pronounced waistcoat. Um, it's a vest, basically. Um, uh, Tolkien himself personally loved vests. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. Um, what's, uh, what's the thing that he's wearing? Yes, good. Several of you are... are, uh, are are noticing this. Um, he's, uh, it's his dwarf hood. Uh, remember, he's, he's given a spare hood by Dwalin. Um, 
which is why it's dark green, because that was the color of Dwalin's hood. Right? Dwalin gives him a spare hood uh, when he sets out on his journey, and we're told in the beginning of chapter two of the, that it, uh, of the Hobbit that it made him look rather comic. Right? Um, I, I I don't like to think what what Bungo would have said, right, if he'd seen him. Uh, Bilbo's only consolation was that he couldn't be mistaken for a dwarf because he had no beard. Again, if you remember the Hobbit, you may remember some of those some of those passages. So he wears this this secondhand dwarf hood, which makes him look rather comical, right? Because it's too big for him. Um, um, and we see that he's not only um, he's not only retained them, right? He's not only kept them, um, but he has stored them away to be used. And Maggie, you're absolutely right. Bilbo wasn't pleased with his hood on his first journey, right? Um, uh, he didn't like it at all. And the fact that he looked silly in the dwarf hood sort of showed it was, it was, it, you know, it was like an outside representation of how uncomfortable he was, right? How out of place he was in that world, right? In that world of adventure among the party of dwarfs and one, you know, of 13 dwarves and one wizard. Um, so he, but not only, not only has he kept it, right? And not, but he's, not only does he put it on voluntarily now, but he, it seems to be a really important thing, right? There's almost a kind of, um, there's almost a kind of ritual. That much, that's, that's a strong word, um, maybe too strong uh, for what I'm talking about. But, um, but anyway, it's, uh, um, it's uh, uh, ceremonial, at least, right? I'm going out into the woods. So presumably, he has cloaks he could wear. Right, he needed to borrow a cloak because he ran pelting down the lane without his, you know, his hat or his or or any money or his pocket handkerchiefs. Right, um, that's why he had to borrow a cloak. Presumably, he could have planned in advance and gotten a, co- a cloak, a nice cloak that fit. Right, but instead, um, he gets this 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 deliberate return. Right, um, and that's really interesting. The other things that we see. Right. Um, the leather-bound manuscript, a bundle wrapped in old cloths. Um, I suspect, by the way, that the bundle wrapped in old cloths is probably his mithril coat that we'll see later on. Um, the leather-bound manuscript, of course, is important. We've seen his leather-bound manuscript at the end of The Hobbit. Um, uh, we will soon be told that he is working on his book and has been working on his book. Um, and a large, bulky envelope. So of all of these things, all of these things have meaning are familiar to us in some way, except for the large, bulky envelope, and he immediately puts his golden ring, which, of course, again, we'll remember uh, from his uh, um, from his trip, right, from his earlier adventure uh, from The Hobbit. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, exactly. Uh, 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 Faithful says uh, it's his going-on-adventure outfit. Yes, yes, it is. Exactly. Um, and it's funny, I know in a Lotro context this sounds totally natural, right? Like, well, he's just, like, shifting his cosmetics here for, you know, for, for the occasion, right? Of course, who wouldn't do that, right, when they're, when they're going out? Um, uh, but I, I, think it's, I think it's really interesting, I think it's really important, the way that Bilbo is sort of self-consciously um, re-entering that mode, right? Taking all of the relics of his former journey, right? Uh, that's what, you know, he's giving everything else away. Um, 
uh, e- either to the general community, to his family and friends, or to Frodo. Right? He's giving everything away except for the things that he got on his journey, except for the ring. Right? The ring is the one thing he's leaving behind or trying to leave behind. And this already, before we see anything else about it, and, and re- try to remember, we don't know anything else about it yet. Right? Try to put yourself in a chapter one frame of mind. We don't know anything ominous or suspicious about the ring. The Hobbit doesn't breathe a word of it. If all we know is the Hobbit, no matter how well we know the Hobbit, um, we're not going to have any real reason to suspect that there's something dark and dangerous behind the ring, Bilbo's invisibility ring. It's just an invisibility ring, right? Um, but it's already being singled out here for us by the fact that he is putting it in an envelope which he addresses for Frodo. Okay, um, and then Gandalf comes in. So let's see where we go, where we go from here. Hello, said Bilbo. I wondered if you would turn up. I am glad to find you visible, replied the wizard, sitting down in a chair. I wanted to catch you and have a few final words. I suppose you feel that everything has gone off splendidly and according to plan? Yes, I do, said Bilbo. Though that flash was surprising, it quite startled me, let alone the others. A little addition of your own, I suppose? It was. You have wisely kept that ring secret all these years, and it seemed to me necessary to give your guests something else that would seem to explain your sudden vanishment. And would spoil my joke. You are an interfering old busybody, laughed Bilbo, but I expect you know best as usual. I do, when I know anything, but I don't feel too sure about this whole affair. It has now come to the final point. You have had your joke, and alarmed or offended most of your relations, and given the whole shire something something to think about for nine days, or ninety-nine more likely. Are you going any further? Now, what do we learn about Gandalf, and Gandalf's perspective from this passage, right? And again, as I've said before, try not to think in terms of all the stuff that we learn later in the book, right? Try to put yourself in a chapter one frame of mind, right? Um... What, um, oh, uh, uh, Lama Lady asked why he would need a large bulky envelope for a small ring. Well, we'll find out later on that there are other things in it. It's not just the ring in it. And that's actually kind of interesting when we do learn what else is in it. Um, but, uh, more, yes, exactly. Uh, Gilgalir, I agree. I do when I know anything is the genuine Gandalf manner, as Pippin would say. Uh, absolutely, I agree. Um, now, again, so put yourself in the... What does Gandalf know and what does Gandalf not know? Right? Um, think about... Um, first, the flash. Right? Why does Gandalf make a sudden f- blinding flash of light appear at the moment that Bilbo puts on his ring? Gandalf knows what's going to happen. Right? Bilbo has told him about the joke that he's planning to have. Um, so... Why does Gandalf do this? Gandalf says, uh, You have wisely kept that ring secret all these years, and it seemed to me necessary to give your guests something else that would seem to explain your sudden vanishment. Um, Bilbo, this tells us that Bilbo had been intending just to vanish in front of them all, right? He wanted them all to be looking at him, and then he becomes invisible, right? Um, he wanted to surprise them even more than he, With the flash... It just looked like more of a normal trick, right? There was a, He contrived a flash of light in some way, and then when they all looked up again, he wasn't there anymore. He probably scampered off, right? 
that's a silly way to behave, especially for an 11 year old gentleman, right? Um, which is why they're all saying, he's mad, I always said so, right? Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so, so that's what they all assume he's doing, right? And that seemed to be Gandalf's intention. Why exactly? Gandalf does not, there's a lot Gandalf doesn't know, as he's going to explain later. He'll, he'll explain in detail more what he knows and doesn't know, right? Um, but he doesn't really know for sure here. His, what he says is, he thinks that it's wise that Bilbo has kept the ring secret. He thinks it's a good idea that people don't know that Bilbo actually has a magical, you know, whether or not they see the ring, they're going to know he actually had some a ma- magic that turned him invisible, right? And Gandalf thinks it's probably best for people not to know that there's actual magic involved. Gandalf, through his magical flash, is preventing people from suspecting real magic, right? Um, they need to have something else that would seem to explain his sudden vanishment. It could just be sleight of hand, well, sleight of body, I guess, um, rather than than actual vanishing. Um, but um, uh, so try to try not to people who are on the Discord chat. Please try not to answer other people's questions. Um, again, just because it makes them go by too fast for me to be able to keep up with. I'm trying to see everybody's... Uh, I'm trying to see everybody's... Uh, uh, um, ans- everybody's questions. So please don't answer them. It's not that you don't have perfectly good answers. But again, I, then, then I can't see all the questions and it takes me forever to page through. That's all. Um, uh, so, okay. So... Um, so exactly, Matthew, if there's real magic involved, it can be attributed to Gandalf. And what's more, that particular kind of magic, that is the, the, the blinding flash, is the kind of magic that's most likely to get attributed to Gandalf. And by the way, it seems to do so, right? As Gandalf says to Frodo, people suspect a plot. Well, of course they suspect a plot, right? It looks like he was obviously complicit. He was obviously involved. The blinding flash has to be Gandalf, right? The fireworks maker, right? I mean, you know. It, uh, it doesn't take Hercule Poirot to figure that one out, right? And so even, uh, even the hobbits, you know, some of the hobbits who are not that quick on the uptick, uh, piece that one uh, together. Um, uh, and that's interesting, Tony, to suggest that maybe he's being protective of the Shire, in a sense, uh, by taking suspicions to himself and then leaving, right? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I think that that's, uh, uh, that's quite quite possible. I mean, it seems to be kind of what he's, uh, what he's doing, right? Even though it means he's going to be cast as the villain in, uh, the Frost Bluff play, right? You know, when the, when, when they, when, when they retell the story of Mad Baggins, Gandalf is likely to end up as, as the villain, right? Um, uh, whether or not there's an evil dwarf thrown in as well. Um, and again, Gandalf seems to know that and he sort of accepts that, right? So you notice also the other thing that he's doing is in a sense being protective of Bilbo's legacy, as well, I don't think that like Bilbo's legacy is the number one thing that he's thinking about. But, but again, what will they say? What will the whole atmosphere be among the Shire hobbits if they see this, you know, unquestioned act of magic occur right in front of them? Right? Um, yeah, yeah, I agree, Tony. Playing the long game—that's definitely Gandalf. Um, although Bilbo acknowledges that this spoiled his joke, right? It, it, it prevented him from creating precisely the sensation that he had intended to create. Nevertheless, you know, he laughs. He's able to laugh it off, right? He's not, he's not bothered, right? I expect you know best as usual. Um, 
notice still how casual this is, right? There is no sense in Bilbo's response and little enough sense in Gandalf's initial statement that Gandalf has any deep, solemn suspicions, right? Um, it's possible for us to read into this, you know, some element of the ring must be, you know, keep it secret and keep it safe, right? I don't think so. I don't think that's what Gandalf is saying here. I don't think he's like, it is, you know, this ring must be kept secret and I will do what I have to do to make sure it's kept secret, Bilbo, despite your stupid jokes, right? I don't think that that's what Gandalf is saying. I don't think that that's what Gandalf is thinking. His statement, you have wisely kept it secret all these years, so it seemed to me necessary, right? Um, uh, He is saying it was wise to keep it secret, but that's a very general statement. I mean, like, it's prudent, right? It was generally a good idea, um, to keep it to keep it secret all these years, but he doesn't say anything more than that, right? He doesn't uh, make any more specific claim about uh, about the ring or about the, signi- the 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 imperative of the the yeah the imperative of secrecy. Um, notice the other thing. Notice the other thing that Gandalf suggests, and this to me is the most sort of revealing thing. Oh, good. Simon, thank you for mentioning that, because I wanted to mention that one, too. Um, I'm interested in both Gandalf's... I'm mo- In this passage, I'm most interested in Gandalf's first com- comment and his last comment, right? His first comment, I am glad to find you visible. Simon, thank you for reminding me uh, of that one. Um, Simon says that this is sort of a... Uh, um, uh, a double meaning there, right? That he's, uh, he's, he's glad to be able to to sit down and chat with him, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I'm glad to find you visible. Um, it's, uh, it's fascinating to me because, like, what are the implications of that? The implications of that are, like, was he worried that he wasn't going to find him visible? Was he... Uh, you could just take that as, I was, I was worried I was going to miss you, right? That you might have slipped off without my being able to, uh, to, to have a few final words, right? Which is obviously what he wants. Um... But does it also suggest that Gandalf is concerned that he's just not going to take off the ring, right? Um, you know, that even in Bag End, he's not going to make himself visible again. Um, you know, to me, there seems to be a little bit of a, a hint of I am uncomfortable when you are invisible, right? Not just because I can't see you personally, but I am uneasy, about your use, you're using that ring, right? Um, so, uh, so yeah. Would Gandalf, you know, uh, uh, Gilgunthir is asking if Bilbo were invisible. Would Gandalf have had any had have had any way to identify him? Would Gandalf have been able to see him? I don't know. My suspicion is no, no. Gandalf 2.0 later on, yeah. In the Return of the King, Gandalf, I believe, would have, yeah. Um, at least that's my guess totally guessing here, but I would guess that Gandalf 2.0 would um, after Gandalf gets his upgrade. Um, but um, but chapter one, Gandalf, I doubt it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, Aragorn, exactly. I'm glad to find you visible, meaning I'm glad you are no longer wearing the ring. Yes, like, I find it a relief that you are not, that you stop, you know, that you took the ring off, right? As if there were a doubt as to whether or not he would take the ring off, right? At least it's just, it's on the table that there's a doubt there, right? Similarly, look what's on the table at the end of the passage, right? 
Um, are you going any further? And that's kind of an eye-opener, as Pippin would say, Gilgoyer, right? Um, given the whole Shire something to talk about for nine days, or ninety-nine more likely, are you going any further? Do you really mean to leave? Are you actually going to do it? Right? Stick to your plan, your whole plan, mind, right? Is something he's already said uh, to Bilbo. Um, Gandalf seems to doubt whether Bilbo, in fact, means to go through with it. Right? Um, are you going any further? So, or are you just going to settle for giving the Shire something to talk about for 99 days and alarming or offending most of your relations? Right? Um, that was the point. That was the point of the joke. That was the point of the party. He knows. This is the plan. The plan is that Bilbo's really going to leave. Gandalf seems to question whether Bilbo is really going to leave. And that's interesting. So let's, let's carry on. Let's see why does he question that? How does that, how does that work? So let's, let's keep going. Yes, I am. I feel I need a holiday. A very long holiday, as I've told you before. Probably a permanent holiday. I don't expect I shall return. In fact, I don't mean to, and I have made all arrangements. I am old, Gandalf. I don't look it, but I'm beginning to feel it in my heart of hearts. Well-preserved, indeed, he snorted. Why, I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change or something. Gandalf looked curiously and closely at him. No, it does not seem right, he said thoughtfully. No, after all, I believe your plan is probably the best. Well, I've made up my mind anyway. I want to see mountains again, Gandalf. Mountains, and then find somewhere where I can rest. In peace and quiet, without a lot of relatives prying around, and a string of confounded visitors hanging on the bell, I might find somewhere where I can finish my book. I've thought of a nice ending for it, and he lived happily ever after to the end of his days. Um, okay. Notice what Bilbo reveals here. Let's go step by step through this, right? What are Bilbo's feelings? Do you mean to go through with it, Bilbo? Are you serious about leaving? And his answer, absolutely, I am sure. I am I'm sure about leaving. Yes, I intend to go through with it. I want to leave the Shire. Why does he want to leave the Shire? Right? He wants he needs a holiday. Right? Um, he wants to see he wants he wants probably a permanent holiday, right? He means not to return. Um and uh, and I agree, Freya. The, the 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 butter and bread reference is a very is a very hobbitish way of uh, of describing things. Maggie, great observation. He 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 never wanted to see the mountains in the Hobbit, right? Uh, we we see him see mountains for the first time when they're approaching Rivendell at the beginning of chapter three, and he's really struck by the sight of the mountains, um, uh, and he wonders if that's the you know, if if this is, if that's the mountain that they're heading for, if, they, if is that the mountain he asks, right? Um, but um, uh, but yeah, so Maggie, it is really indicative of Bilbo. It's very much of a piece with his treasuring the dwarf hood that made him look silly, and uh, and strapping on his sword and everything. We see him actively embracing and even longing for. Longing is a very important idea in Tolkien, right? The, his longing for the mountains, uh, his longing to see more beyond the Shire. Right, um, that's a a very 
positive thing, right? Something that is drawing him out of the Shire. But there's also a negative thing, right? That is, he also wants to escape something, and that's the feeling that he has. Um, the feeling of being thin, sort of stretched. Notice how he connects it to being well-preserved, right? He scoffs, he snorts, technically, at the idea of being well-preserved. We were, we, we were told in paragraph one of the chapter, right, that he's been called well-preserved since he was, what, 90? Um, uh, he, he's been called uh, well-preserved, though unchanged would be closer to the mark, right? Um, he scoffs at being well-preserved. He doesn't feel well-preserved, right? I'm old, Gandalf. He, I don't look old, but I am old. I feel old. He doesn't understand how he feels. Um, the implication, I think, anyway, <clears throat> of the way that he connects it with the well-preserved comment, people are saying you are well-preserved. You haven't changed, Bilbo. And notice what he's saying. Yeah, I have. I have changed. Now, we've already seen Maggie, right, some ways in which he's changed in what we would probably call positive ways, right, from the beginning of The Hobbit. But he's aged. He's changed with, as time has gone on, he has felt himself changing. Um, He does not feel well preserved. Preserved is an important idea here, right? Um, To be preserved, to be held unchanging, right? But he's not at all unchanging. Um, But the way he's changed has 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 to feel... To be, feel thin, to feel stretched out, like butter scraped over too much bread. Um, bread and butter. Bread and butter is a very hobbity image. Bread and butter are two things that go together, right? That's fitting. That's na- you know, bread well slathered in butter is a natural, good, wholesome thing, right? Um, but uh, his life is like butter scraped over... Now, notice, how does he interpret this? I'm not talking about Gandalf. I'm talking about Bilbo. How does Bilbo understand his stretchiness? Not the right word. Right. Um, yes, Pemberton, he feels, he feels restless. Right? He wants to leave. He seems to connect it with this positive desire, this longing that he has for adventure, right? For mountains. Um, I need a change or something, right? And it's interesting. We remember, of course, through The Hobbit, how he was constantly longing for Bag End, right? He was longing for home. Now he's in Bag End, and he's longing for the mountains. And more, he's feeling that that longing, he believes that that longing is having a kind of um, a kind of um, effect on him, right? A, a kind of uh, a physiological effect on him. Um, it's it's obviously it's messing with him, right? I, I, it can't be right to feel this way, um, and that's how he that's how he interprets this feeling that he has. Of course, he has. He has no reason to suspect that it has anything to do with the ring. And neither do we. <laughs> I know. We've all read this before, right? So we read this and we're like, oh yeah, oh, I, could, I could lecture for quite a while on what's going on with him right there, right? He doesn't know, and neither do we, the readers, right? We have no reason to think his ring has anything to do with it. Um, 
the first cue that we get is Gandalf's curious look. No, it does not seem right. That's our cue that Bilbo's interpretation is insufficient, right? He's not just pining for the fjords. I mean, he's not just pining for the mountains, right? Um, he's... he's uh, uh, there's something else up, and we don't know... Um, uh, we don't know what it's... And yes, Gilguir, I suspect he is making a, a, a pun... Gilgoyer is saying that it seems like another Hobbit play there, because um, preserves are something else that you spread on bread, right? Uh, you have preserves on toast as well as butter, um, and uh, so you know, Gilgoyer one wonders if um, if that's in fact the uh, sort of train of thought that led Bilbo to the bread and butter analogy in the first place. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, good. Yeah, so. I agree it's queer that it isn't natural, but yes, Bilbo does see it as a sign of age. Um, and, but, and James, thank you for asking that. Yes, in the metaphor, Bilbo's bread and butter metaphor, what's the bread and what's the butter, right? Yes, he is comparing himself, James, to butter. He feels thin and sort of stretched like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. My understanding of what Bilbo is trying to convey here is that, like, he himself in some way is the butter and the bread is life, right? Um, you know, and his life is long now. It's been a long life. It's 100, 111 years is a pretty big slice of toast, okay? And he's one hobbit and he's been one little hobbit spread over a big old, so he's a, he's a, he's a, a quite inadequate pat of butter, um, uh, spread over a very large piece of toast. That seems to be the metaphor that he's using. What the the concept that he has in mind, right? Um, that he is um, um, his relationship. Again, it's it's aging, right? I mean, he believes that he's aging. He's longing for these other things. Uh, uh, Gallandar, exactly. He's tired of his uh, <clears throat> of his uh, of his surroundings, right? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> but. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, I did Megalthalion say pining for the fjords. Um, uh, sorry, I, did, <clears throat> I sometimes make Monty Python jokes without thinking about it. My apologies. But yes, anyway, okay, so... Um, uh, yeah, uh, interesting. Catherine Parker says, The bread is time and the butter is life. Bilbo's life. Okay, yeah, I can go with that too. I can go with that too. That 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 kind of works for me. I think I think that that uh, that makes sense. Um, now Gandalf's reaction, and several of you were pointing this is so far da- upstream now or downstream uh, that uh, I can't remember who it was who said it. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, um, good observation. Several of you were making about Gandalf's point. Um, I'm really interested in Gandalf's repetition of the word no. Gandalf looked curiously and closely at him. No, it does not seem right. The first no is merely an agreement with Bilbo, right? He says that can't be right. Gandalf says, no, it does not seem right. He said thoughtfully, no, after all, I believe your plan is probably for the best. What is the second no? No, after all, I believe your plan is probably the best. That no sounds like a 
an I'm changing my mind no, right? You know, doesn't it kind of sound like you're like, this is what I plan to do. No, I don't think I'll do that, right? That kind of no, see what I mean? Um, yeah, Echinacea says Gandalf sort of clarifying his thoughts or Aragorn suggests he's trying to, or uh, Bruinier, uh, sorry, is saying Gandalf trying to convince himself, something like that. No. no. So, and In other words, I don't think this is just another agreement. This is Gandalf's mind now going somewhere else, right? No, after all, I believe your plan is probably for the best. And that implies, as again several of you were suggesting earlier on, it implies that Gandalf originally thought that Bilbo's plan was bad, right? Does this suggest that Gandalf in earlier conversations was saying, dude, don't leave the Shire? I, I, that, that does sound to me what he's saying, right? And I think it's why he says no, after all. After all, you know, now at this point, right? An hour ago I wouldn't have said this, but at this point I would say, I believe your plan is probably for the best. Um, so yeah, now what what was Gandalf's earlier opinion, right? Um, you know, Freya asked, was he at first going to talk Bilbo out of his plan? It sounds like it, or that he spoke against it in some sense. Um, uh, so, uh, <laughs> just first fish says Gandalf is giving no to Bilbo as Bilbo wants good morning to him. Yes, using it the same word to, to me. What a what a what a what a great number of things you do use the word no for, Gandalf. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Tony, I agree. One of the things that he uh, would seem to be worried about is that Bilbo might run off into the wild with a ring on him. Now, again, I don't think that we have much excuse to think that yet. Right? Um, um, notice the the ring hasn't come up. We've not talked about the ring. We're just talking about, are you going any further? Are you actually going to leave? And what's wrong with you? Right? No one said anything about the ring. Yeah, yeah, that is between Gandalf and Bilbo. So let's be careful not to jump the gun yet, right? I think your plan, when he says, are you going any further, it means the departure, right? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so now I think that's what, that's what, he's, that's what he's talking about, too. Um, Eternity, I do suspect, if I had to guess why Gandalf might have been resistant to the plan to Bilbo's departure, it's because he would have wanted to keep his eye on Bilbo, and if Bilbo goes wandering off, he won't necessarily know where he is or know how to find him, right? Um, and Ambrosius, very good. Ambrosius Aurelianus, awesome name. Uh, uh, am I correct in thinking that your name is a super geeky and obscure King Arthur reference? Because if so, that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, uh, I mean, goodness, is that a is that a is that a Nennius reference? I mean, that is hardcore, man. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, oh, even better, a Rosemary Sutcliffe reference. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, anyway, cool. Anyhow, so, but as Ambrosius Aurelianus was saying, um, King Arthur's original name and one of the, one of the early legends, um, uh, what were you saying? By the, oh, yes, Bilbo's response. Well, I've made up my mind anyway, right? Clearly seems to suggest there had been disagreement with them before. Right, Gandalf is now saying, "Okay, it's fine. Go ahead and do your plan." And Bilbo responds and is like, "I'm gonna. In fact, I was going to anyway. Whether or not you agreed, I'm glad you now agree and have come around to my side. Right? But whether you did or not, I was, I was gonna go ahead and do it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, again, keep in mind, Tony, when Gandalf has said earlier on, 
keep stick to your plan uh, stick to your plan your whole plan mind we don't know what he's talking about right um, that is a mystery which we can only begin to figure out by the end of the first chapter right after this conversation it will become clear what Gandalf meant by your whole plan but when Gandalf says it we don't know what he's talking about um, uh, yeah yeah um, but uh, but well but hang on hang on Tim um, Bilbo hasn't said he's gonna leave the ring behind yet we're getting ahead of ourselves right the only thing we've talked about is departing right and then he says he wants to see mountains again and not be pestered by visitors and relatives, right? And he wants to write a nice ending to his book. He lived happily ever after to the end of his days, right? Um, and then, okay, now what? Um, uh, sorry, I'm skipping because I couldn't fit everything on to one slide. Um, uh, Bilbo then says he's left everything to Frodo, and now Gandalf brings up the ring for the first time. Right? Everything. The ring as well, Gandalf has said to him. Right? Um, and this is now the first time that our attention is being focused on the ring. And Gandalf says, Where is it? In an envelope, if you must know, said Bilbo impatiently. There on the mantelpiece. Well, no. Here it is in my pocket. He hesitated. Isn't that odd now? He said softly to himself. Yet, after all, why not? Why shouldn't it stay there? Gandalf looked again very hard at Bilbo, and there was a gleam in his eyes. I think, Bilbo, he said quietly, I should leave it behind. Don't you want to? Well, yes, and no. Now it comes to it, I don't like parting with it at all, I may say, and I don't really see why I should. Why do you want me to? he asked, and a curious change came over his voice. It was sharp with suspicion and annoyance. You were always badgering me about my ring. But you've never bothered me about the other things that I got on my journey. No, but I had to badger you, said Gandalf. I wanted the truth. It was important. Magic rings are, well, magical, and they are rare and curious. I was professionally interested in your ring, you may say, and I still am. I should like to know where it is if you go wandering again. Also, I think you have had it quite long enough. You won't need it any more, Bilbo, unless I am quite mistaken. Yes, Gilguir, I agree. This is the first sign. Mind, first sign ever, right? Including the whole Hobbit, this is the first sign that there is something odd, that there's anything odd about the ring, right? Um, maybe, maybe you could argue his putting the envelope with the ring in it on the mantelpiece and then taking it down and putting it in his pocket is strange. But we don't know for sure how strange that is. He might just be being absent-minded or something in some way or other, right? That is, maybe he's absent-mindedly putting it in his pocket. Maybe he absent-mindedly put it on the mantelpiece in the first place. And he's like, oh, stupid, I should put that in my pocket. I mean, goodness knows if people saw me, if people were watching me when I'm, like, going out on errands, they would be like, why did he pour himself a drink and then leave it on the table next to the door, right? Um, like, it doesn't have any significance. I just forgot, right? So, I, I consider the envelope on the mantelpiece thing a kind of ambivalent uh, sort of piece of evidence. Um, but, um, but here, um, this is the first very clear piece of evidence, right? Um, his statement... Where is the ring? And he impatiently answers, it's in an envelope, if you must know, on the mantelpiece. He seems to have forgotten 
that he took it off the mantelpiece, that's weird, right? And I agree. I think that this is the first objectively weird, um, uh, objectively weird thing about the ring, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Gilgunthir asks, is Gandalf being coy here, or does he really not know? We just kind of have to wait on that one, right? You know, we don't know exactly how much Gandalf knows or doesn't know, right? So for now, let's just kind of take Gandalf at his word and then see what we learn later on. Um, John Oskohas, great. Uh, can I just call you Raven King? So Raven King, good... Um, uh, uh, nameless slave. Any number of things I could call you, really. Uh, um, points out a gleam in Gandalf's eyes is an odd reaction here. Is he trying to play this off as lightly as possible? Um, I agree. The gleam in his eyes is a really interesting piece of detail that we're given. Right? Gandalf looked again very hard at Bilbo, and there was a gleam in his eyes. Right? This gives us an indication of Gandalf, of how much Gandalf is paying attention. Right? Um, clearly. Uh, Gandalf finds this extremely significant, right? We don't yet know the significance, right? How is it significant? What is significant about it to Gandalf, right? Don't know, but he's really interested, right? He clearly finds it really important. But And notice how careful he is, though. I think I should leave it behind. Don't you want to? Really tentatively offered advice, Right? I think, you know, if it were me, I'd leave it, you know? Don't you want to? Not, you really should, right? But that, that's as gently as he could possibly begin, right? And there seems to be, combined with the, the gleam in his eyes, there seems to be something deliberately probing there, right? Um, he really means that question. Don't you want to? Isn't it your intention to do that? Um, and Bilbo honestly, honestly replies yes and no. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, sorry, just looking over some of the comments. Um, I agree, Starspray. Gandalf being this tentative is definitely a sign that something is up. He seems to be being... We can see Bilbo's sudden shift, right? The impatience... Bilbo's impatience combined with him catching himself in an untruth, right? They're on the mantelpiece. Oh, no. It's not on the mantelpiece. It's in my pocket. And and he starts talking to him, "Isn't, isn't that odd, right? You know, it's like, isn't it odd now that I'm talking to myself? <laughs> you know, isn't, I mean, he himself doesn't understand wh- how or why that just happened, right? This is not Bilbo having a senior moment. Again, like, I did, I, when I forgot my, uh, my travel cup on the, next to the door, which I do a, dis- a disturbing percentage of the time I go out, um, I was, like, angry at myself in the car. Right, when I after you know when I was on the road, um, but I didn't say, isn't that odd now? Right, um, it wasn't odd uh, at all. Uh, what, so so again, this is clearly is it, we're, we're, this is not normal, right? Um, he himself is marveling at what um, has happened. Now Gilguir points out that 
it's even just odd that Gandalf is being gentle at all. He's always been fairly brusque, and of course, as we've seen, everybody's kind of brusque with each other, right? Everybody's, uh, uh, there's a lot of rough and tumble, you know, in uh, the way that they talk to each other. So this kind of gentleness does seem to be uh, um, very, uh, um, a very deliberate move on Gandalf's part. He's feeling this out very carefully. Notice how introspective Bilbo is throughout this. He is very aware of the fact that something odd is happening to him, right? Um, he's, he's, it's weird that he seems to have actually thought the ring was on the mantelpiece, right? When it was actually in his pocket. Um, he thinks it's odd that he does want to leave the ring behind, but also doesn't want to leave the ring behind, right? Um, notice his first move, right? Um, notice that Bilbo's own sort of defense of keeping the ring. Move number one. Why not? Why shouldn't it stay there? Right? Why shouldn't I? I don't have a really good reason to leave it behind. Why not? So that's a pretty gentle opening, right? And then... Now it comes to it, I don't like parting with it at all, I may say, and I don't really see why I should. I don't really like parting with it at all. We see there are lots of things he doesn't really like parting with, right? In fact, we've seen him, like, rejoining himself to a lot of his most precious objects, all of which were things that he got on his journey, right? His sword, his, probably his mithril coat, wrapped up in old cloths, his dwarf cloak, right? And the ring. So naturally, right? He doesn't. He he's been carefully preserving Dwalin's, you know, second best hood in uh, uh, in mothballs, right, for many years. Um, so of course he doesn't like parting with it now that it comes to it, right? Who would? Again, that's very gentle. But then he shifts again. The tone shifts, and the narrator calls the change in tone curious. It was sharp with suspicion and annoyance. Now he's suspecting Gandalf, right? Now he's annoyed at Gandalf. You're always badgering me about my ring. But you've never bothered me about the other things I got on my journey. Like the second-hand cloak, right? Um, This is the first time we learn that Gandalf is interested in the ring, right? And now maybe we can look backwards and think that Gandalf is thinking about the ring earlier on, right? But this is the first piece of evidence that we have for that. This is where we might begin to suspect that this is what Gandalf was talking about when he said before, your whole plan, mind, right? The whole, you know, the part of the, the part of the, the part of the plan which involved you leaving the ring behind, right? Um, uh, yeah, um, and so yet, uh, uh, Tony, clearly they've talked about this before, right? They've disagreed with each other, um, and, uh, uh, and you know, the mere fact that Gandalf emphasizes your whole plan, mind, uh, shows that he thinks it's not a given that Bilbo is gonna stick to the whole plan, right? Um, suspicion. What does he suspect Gandalf of? Right? Notice the evidence that we get about that in Gandalf's own response, right? That is, we can clearly see what Gandalf believed Bilbo was suspicious of and annoyed by, right? 
his interest in the ring. Why are you badgering me about my ring, right? Why are you so obsessed with my ring? It's not that I'm obsessed with your ring, right? I had to badger you. I wanted the truth, right? Bilbo characterized... Remember Bilbo lied, right? He wrote a fake story in the book. This is the first indication we're getting of that, right? Um, So apparently Bilbo had been lying about the ring, and Gandalf had had to badger him in order to get Bilbo to tell him the truth, right? So uh, who should be suspicious of whom here, right? Um, And it's a magical ring, right? And therefore rare and curious, and I'm professionally interested in your ring, right? I'm a wizard... It's a magic ring. Uh, I'm curious about it, right? Notice how Gandalf is not saying anything in particular, right? I think this ring is important, or, uh, you know, I, uh, I am doing surveillance on this ring, right? It's like he, he, he appears to be trying to diffuse Bilbo's suspicions um, and then advises again. You won't need it anymore unless I'm quite mistaken, Right? Um, we see Bilbo getting ready to set out on his in his old footsteps, right? Retracing the path uh, to the mountains. Um, but you you won't need the ring, right? Um, yeah, yeah, good. John Osgoas, yes, King of the North. I agree. Um, magical, rare, and curious. That sounds like the way the Hobbit described it. I absolutely agree. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gilgir thinks that uh, Bilbo is sounding kind of like Thorin here, when Thorin was under the influence of dragon sickness. Um, In some ways, I wouldn't say it's a very direct parallel, but certainly the sort of possessiveness, right, um, is is, is certainly, certainly parallel. Um, Notice the the line that Gandalf is kind of tossing to him, right? Um, You won't need it anymore unless I'm quite mistaken. Here's Gandalf circumventing a potential counter-argument, right? If the next thing you're going to say is, but I might need my ring on my travels, right? Let me, uh, let me anticipate that rationalization and move in front of it, right? Seems to be where Gandalf is going here. But again, notice he is trying to diffuse Bilbo's suspiciousness. I'm not obsessed with your ring. I'm not after your ring. I'm not fixated on your ring. I'm just curious, and I want to know the truth about it, and I would kind of like to know where it is, and you won't need it anymore. Bilbo flushed, and there was an angry light in his eyes. His kindly face grew hard. Why not, he cried, and what business is it of yours anyway to know what I do with my own things? It is my own. I found it. It came to me. Yes, yes, said Gandalf, but there's no reason to get angry. If I am ang- if I am, it is your fault, said Bilbo. It's mine, I tell you. My own, my precious. Yes, my precious. The wizard's face remained grave and attentive, and only a flicker in his deep eyes showed that he was startled and indeed alarmed. It has been called that before, he said, but not by you. But I say it now, and why not? Even if Gollum said the same once, it's not his now, but mine, and I shall keep it, I say. Gandalf stood up. He spoke sternly. You will be a fool if you do, Bilbo, he said. You make that clearer with every word you say. It has got far too much hold on you. Let it go, and then you can go yourself and be free. 
I'll do as I choose and go as I please, said Bilbo obstinately. Okay. Uh, what do we see here? What do we notice here? Um, yeah, this is really where the danger is coming in, uh, being broadcast most clearly. I mean, by the time we get to my precious, right, it's, it's, this is beyond red flag territory, right? Uh, the, the mantelpiece trick was a red flag, right? Uh, my precious is much more uh, than, just, uh, than just a red flag. Um, uh, so, notice how this goes, right? Remember, Gandalf has just said, you won't need it, right, unless I'm quite mistaken. Why not? And what business is of yours to know what I do with my own things? Why are you snooping about my ring? Gandalf has just said, I would like to know where your ring is if you go wandering, right? Um, what business is it of yours? Notice how Bilbo's mind immediately drifts to justification of ownership, right? He goes from, what business is of yours what I do with my own things, to, it is my own. I found it. It came to me. And there's even a progression there, right? Um, it's mine. It's my own. Why is it mine? It's my, mine because I found it. No, it's mine because it came to me, right? I have a, I have a mutual relationship with the ring. Right. It's not a one-sided relationship. Um, I chose the ring and the ring chose me. It was no accident. Right. Um, uh, he, um, yeah, souffle girl, I agree. That moment when he says it came to me is the real Gollum moment, even more than calling it his precious. I agree. Him calling it his precious is, uh, is just kind of an icing on the cake. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's, um, uh, remember, Gandalf wasn't doubting this. There's a way in which Bilbo's movement here is a complete non sequitur. The question isn't, you know, should you have had it or kept it in the first place, right? Um, it's, would it be a good idea to give it up now, right? which even kind of implies ownership, right? And Bilbo instead immediately reacts as if what has happened is that Gandalf has merely challenged his right to ownership. Um, it is my own. I found it. It came to me. Gandalf placating still. There's no need to, be, to get angry. If I am, it's your fault. Right? I'm... It is mine, I tell you, as if Gandalf is arguing that point. Which suggests, since he keeps coming back to this, as if he's fighting tooth and nail to win that argument, which no one is having with him, right? It reveals the fact that that's the fixation, right? That that's his fixation. My own, my precious. Yes, my precious. And this is where Gandalf begins to become startled and alarmed, right? He was curious before. He was uncertain. Now he is... Uh, now he's alarmed, right? This is... He now sees the connection between him and Gollum. Explicitly. Bilbo has the same relationship with the ring that Gollum had. It affects him the same way it affected Gollum. 
it affected Gollum, for sure, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and I agree, Gilgoyer, that progression is legitimately terrifying. He says, particularly if you know anyone who struggles with addiction. Yeah, it does, it's, it does sound that way, right? Um, you can see his, uh, his, his own internal fixation, right? Um, isn't it interesting how that happens? It starts with Bilbo being suspicious of the fact that Gandalf is fixating on the ring, when Gandalf hasn't been fixating on the ring, right? And then demonstrates that, of course, it's Bilbo who's fixated, right? Who is increasingly obsessed. And now the whole, I'm going to put it on the mantelpiece, no, I'm going to put it in my pocket thing, and then, oh, gosh, did I put it in my pocket? I barely even remember that. Begins to make more sense, right? Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, and he doesn't care if Gala... Again, notice how gentle Gandalf is, right? It has been called that before, but not by you. I love how, like, Socratic <laughs> Gandalf is being here right now. Let's think, uh, Bilbo. Who has called the... I mean, Gandalf sounds like a shrink at this point, right? I mean, does, doesn't he sound like a counselor? Right? He's like, um, it has been called that, but not by you. Right, and then he sort of waits for Bilbo to make the next step, and Bilbo's not going to play, right? But I say it now, and why not? Even if Gollum said the same one, it's not his now, but mine. Missing the point, Bilbo, completely missing the point, right? Gandalf is showing, uh, Bilbo, did you notice that your obsession with the ring, which, by the way, is scary, did you notice that your obsession with the ring is just like Gollum's obsession with the ring was? And instead, Bilbo takes this as another challenge to his ownership, right? Yes, Gollum said this about the ring, but it's not true for him anymore. And it's true for me, though, right? I, I'm entitled to call it my precious because it is mine, right? It's not his now, but mine, right? Maybe he said it before, but whatever. Um, uh, and again, that's really... Um, that's really fascinating um, yeah yeah um, now Gandalf switches tax right this is where he go he starts going about this in a totally different way um, he stands up and speaks sternly and tells him flatly you will be a fool if you do Bilbo you make that clearer with every word you say now Gandalf's not angry right I think if you if, if you hear this in like a, you know, a yelling voice from Gandalf, I think that's wrong, right? He's speaking sternly, but he's still being gentle. You will be a fool if you do, Bingo. I almost called him Bingo. Bilbo, you make that clearer with every word you say. It has got far too much hold on you. Let it go, and then you can go yourself and be free. This is the first time he has used the imperative mood with Bilbo. Let it go. Do it. Let it go. He's now advocating. He wasn't advocating before. He was saying things like, don't you want to? Right? Um, trying to lead him around to conclusions. Now he's saying, Bilbo, you'll be a fool if you keep it. Right? That is perfectly clear. Let it go, and then you can go yourself and be free. It has got far too much hold on you. Now, as several of you were saying, before, as, as, as one of you was saying before, 
is this the fir- I was asking before is this the first time we get the indication of like the ring having any kind of a hold yeah absolutely it is absolutely it is remember we don't know Gollum I mean like we've met Gollum in chapter 5 of the Hobbit even in the new chapter 5 of the Hobbit but we don't know Gollum's background right Gollum is just a creepy monster that he met under the under the mountains right at the roots of the mountains um there is no reason for Bilbo or for us as readers to think that the ring made Gollum into what he was when Bilbo met him, right? So the idea that the ring has a hold on anybody, is not, there's no reason for that to be on our radar. We might be suspecting it now, seeing how obsessive Bilbo has gotten about it, right? Um, but uh, but it's not that's not a pre-established thing, right? Yeah, uh, first fish. I agree. He's also using a, his height. Gandalf is to increase the power. And he's, he's taking a position of authority, right? Both physically by standing up and looking down on Bilbo, um, and in his words, right, S- uh, saying very firm things. You will be a fool if you keep it, right? That would be foolish, Bilbo. That's obvious, right? Let it go. So I'm going to make flat observations. And I'm gonna give you well-intentioned commands, right? And I'm gonna predict what's gonna happen to you, right? If you let it go, then you can go yourself and be free. You said you wanted to go. Remember where this conversation started, Bilbo? This conversation started with your perception of a, an uncomfortable state that you're in, and your desire for a change, your desire for something else, your desire to see the mountains, right? Um. You can have that. You can have that freedom. You can go yourself. But you've got to let the ring go. I'll do as I choose and go as I please, said Bilbo, obstinately. Right? Now, now, my dear hobbit, said Gandalf. All your long life we have been friends and you owe me something. Come, do as you promised. Give it up. Well, if you want my ring yourself, say so, cried Bilbo, but you won't get it. I won't give my precious away, I tell you. His hand strayed to the hilt of his small sword. Gandalf's eyes flashed. It will be my turn to get angry soon, he said. If you say that again, I shall. Then you will see Gandalf the Grey uncloaked. He took a step towards the hobbit, and he seemed to grow tall and menacing. His shadow filled the little room. Bilbo backed away to the wall, breathing hard, his hand clutching at his pocket. They stood for a while, facing one another, and the air of the room tingled. Gandalf's eyes remained bent on the hobbit. Slowly his hands relaxed, and he began to tremble. I believe that's Bilbo's hands, relaxing and trembling, in that last sentence. The his is a little bit ambiguous. Gandalf's eyes, his hands, but bent on the hobbit, slowly the hobbit's hands relaxed. Because remember, it's, it's Bilbo's hand that's clutching at his pocket, presumably the pocket that the envelope with the ring in it is in, right? Um, why is he clutching at the ring? Um, I would say it sounds to me like he's clutching at the ring protectively, right? Because Gandalf is making his move, right? He's, he's like, no, mine, right? You can't have it. Um, his hands relaxing, therefore, seems to be him kind of letting up on that. Um, but anyway, let's, let's back up for a second. Uh, mine ring, yes, exactly. Um, back up to the top here for a second. Notice Gandalf, again, his, he's still in authoritative mode, but he doesn't start yelling even now, right? 
Now, now, my dear hobbit, said Gandalf, still maintaining the friendly tone, increasing the friendly tone, in fact, right? All your long life we have been friends, and you owe me something, right? Do it as a favor to me, right? If I have any fund of goodwill, right, from you, I'm calling in my chips, right? Just do me a favor. So we see, again, this is Gandalf, Gandalf's next attempt to try to get through to him, right? Can I, can I reach out here? Can I appeal to our friendship, right? And say, please do it for me as a favor? And notice the final spin that he gives there, right? Do as you promised. Give it up. Do as you promised, right? This isn't me just telling you, right? This isn't my idea. You promised you would do this already. Right? You promised you would. Just do as you promised. That's all I'm asking. Right? As a favor to me, fulfill the promise that you made. Bilbo, not having any of it, responds, if you want my ring yourself, say so. Right? Now the culmination of that suspicion that he's been looking at Gandalf with for a long time comes through. Right? I see your game, wizard. Right? You're just trying to get my ring from me. You want it for yourself, but you won't get it. I won't give my precious away. Not to anybody else, right? Not to you, not to Frodo, not to anybody. Um, Yeah, Simon, why does Bilbo owe Gandalf something? I didn't realize long friendship came with favor requirements. Again, I see Gandalf as simply appealing to him, right? Like, you know, again, like I'm, I'm... I'm calling it. I'm I'm calling it all the credit I have earned with you, right? You owe me something. Um, trust is what you owe me, right? Um, uh, do as you promised. Give it up. Bilbo's response: If you want my ring yourself, say so. Right? Not only, I'm not just going to say no to that appeal to our friendship that you just made. I'm going to. Uh, uh, suspect, I'm going to tell you that I suspected that you were just trying to manipulate me in saying it, right? That you're, 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 this is actually just a scheme on your part to sucker me into giving you my ring. That's what I think of you, Gandalf, right? Um, I mean, that's, this is a big deal, right? I mean, it's like the, his, his response to the, to the appeal to friendship is the opposite, right? Almost, uh, uh, not exactly, but almost a, a turning away, um, from the, from the from the friendship, right? Um, and he, his hand strays to the hilt of his small sword. Um, he's ready to attack. He's ready to fight Gandalf, right? I'm gonna. This could come to blows. I would kill you rather than give the ring up to you. Now, this is important for several reasons. Of course, it shows the extremity of Bilbo's unfriendliness in this moment. Um, but of course, it also we should be remembering. Right? Chapter 5 of The Hobbit. We should be remembering Gollum, whom, on whom Bilbo showed pity, and whom, with that sword, he refused to kill. Right? Um, there was Gollum, willing, eager to kill him, right? To get his ring back. And here's now Bilbo in a corner, again, with that same sword that he, with which he contemplated killing uh, uh, Gollum before. It's a really interesting kind of... Uh, uh, parallel, right? Um, and uh, 
Again, notice Gandalf doesn't say he's getting angry, right? Gandalf still doesn't get angry. It will be my turn to get angry soon, and if you say that again, I shall. Um, that is, if you want my ring yourself, say so, I suspect, is what he's referring to there. Um, then you will see, if I get angry, you will see Gandalf the Grey uncloaked. Um, and yes, several of you have been pointing to the uncloaked, how cool that word uncloaked is, and the sense that it gives that Gandalf, as, uh, again, I, I, I forget which one of you said it, the sort of the funny magician and firework maker, right, that all of this is just a cloak, right, that he is, he's concealed beneath a facade. He's not what he seems to be, right? Um, but if he, if he gets angry, right, if it comes to it, uh, I will reveal myself. And, and yes, I agree that the speaking of himself in the third person, um, uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus again says, uh, Gandalf's third person usage emphasizes that while he's Bilbo's friend, his duties as a wizard are grander and more vital than anything Bilbo has ever guessed at. Um, yes, Ambrosius, I think it's supposed to remind us of that passage earlier on when we first met Gandalf in chapter one, where it says that his real business was far more difficult and dangerous. Right. Um, and in fact, only now we get a hint of what that real business was, right? His professional interest in Bilbo's ring. Is he Bilbo's friend? Yes. Is he coming for his party? Yes. Um, is he, you know, one of the attractions of the party? Yes, he is. Um, but it's not his real business. And now he's uncloaking, in a sense, his real business, right? Um, and that, you know, him growing tall and menacing and his shadow filling the little room, right? Just a glimpse of what Gandalf the Grey uncloaked might kind of look like here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Nick, I agree. It's like Aragorn saying, if I wanted the ring, I could have it now. Um, yes, he is making perfectly clear to Bilbo that um, he is showing restraint, right? Um, I've been gentle. I've been trying to talk you into this. It's not because I have to, right? Uh, let's uh, let's be let's be clear about that. Um, and again, I think it's important that um, Gandalf or Bilbo's reaction, right? Bilbo gets it. He backs away, and his hand is clutching. That's why I th- this is what gives me the impression that he's clutching, like defensively, but not offensively, right? He's clutching at his pocket to protect the ring. Oh my gosh, he's coming for it. This is it, right? You know, Gandalf is... The, the, the gloves are coming off. He's coming for the ring, is, I think, clearly what Bilbo was thinking, right? So Gandalf's eyes are bent on him, right? He's holding Bilbo in his gaze, and what's the result of that? Not more intimidation, but less, right? His hands relaxed, and he began to tremble. He ceases clutching. He ceases defending. He seems to come to his senses. I don't know what's come over you, Gandalf, he said. You've never been like this before. What is it all about? It is mine, isn't it? I found it, and Gollum would have killed me if I hadn't kept it. I'm not a thief, whatever he said. Still obsessing on the ownership thing, right? It is mine, isn't it? Notice the at the addition of isn't it. Gandalf's starting to get through. Whatever Gandalf is doing, he seems to be applying his will to Bilbo in some way with his eyes fixed upon him. It seems to be working, right? Because 
Although he's still obsessing about his ownership, the tone has now changed. Isn't it? It is mine, isn't it? He's now looking to Gandalf for confirmation. He's now justifying it. I found it, and Gollum would have killed me if I hadn't kept it. I, I had to, right? I'm not a thief. I didn't steal it. I have never called you one, Gandalf answered, and I am not one either. I'm not trying to rob you, but to help you. I wish you would trust me as you used. He turned away, and the shadow passed. He seemed to dwindle again to an old gray man, bent and troubled. Bilbo drew his hand over his eyes. I'm sorry, he said, but I felt so queer. And yet it would be a relief in a way not to be bothered with it any more. It has been so growing on my mind lately. Sometimes I have felt it was like an eye looking at me. And I am always wanting to put it on and disappear, don't you know? Or wondering if it's safe and pulling it out to make sure. I tried locking it up, but I found I couldn't rest without it in my pocket. And I don't know why. And I don't seem to be able to make up my mind. Then trust mine, said Gandalf. It is quite made up. I love that line. Um, uh, Bilbo apologizes. What did Gandalf just do? Gandalf just exerted his power, the shadow spreading through the room and everything. Um, a, a couple people were saying that they thought um, the film did a really good job of depicting the scene. I like a lot of what they did in the film, um, but I think... I'm not trying to be like, I would have done it better, but... Um, there's an element of what Tolkien is describing here that I don't think the film conveys. Maybe it's just me being obtuse watching the film, um, but I don't think it does. Um, in the film, it looks like Gandalf is just scaring Bilbo, right? Like, then you will see Gandalf the Grey uncloaked, and I will swell to large size, and my shadow will grow in the room. And then Bilbo's like, I'm really scared, right? And he looks like a child and comes up, and, and, and that's an adorable moment in the film, and I like that that's an adorable moment in the film. Um, but Again, the impression that it gives is like I'm gonna scare you, right? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna frighten you into um, uh, into like submission or you know like stopping resisting me or whatever. Um, but what seems to me to be happening in this moment, Gandalf is exerting his will. He's exerting his power. To what end? What is he accomplishing? What changes? And I think what changes is what we see from his own words before, right? It has got far too much hold on you. Let it go, and then you can go yourself and be free. Bilbo is not free. Bilbo is chained. The ring has a hold on him. Gandalf, I believe, is breaking the hold that the ring had on him. Notice the response, right? I'm sorry, but I felt so queer, past tense. I no longer feel queer. I, that was, I, it was really weird how I felt just then. Remember, Bilbo is again self-aware. He, he ceased to be self-aware for a while. Now he is again. Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? That little fit I just had, um, where I like almost drew my sword on you and stuff. I mean, whoa. And he admits, yeah, it would be a relief not to be bothered with it anymore. Is Gandalf manipulating him? Are these thoughts that Gandalf is planting in his mind? No. These are his own thoughts, right? We saw this at the very beginning again of the conversation. Well, yes and no, right? Do I want 
don't you want to? Yes and no, right? And he's now acknowledging the yes part again, right? Um, it would be a relief in a way not to be bothered with it. It has been so growing on my mind, right? And he like acknowledges that it kind of creeps him out. It's like an eye looking at me, right? It's like there's a separate will in this thing, right? It's not just mine. It's not just my thing. There's almost the sense in which Bilbo in this moment is sort of recognizing like part of his mind, a big part of his mind is focused on it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And the other part of his mind is sort of recognizing sometimes I don't wonder if I'm not its rather than it being mine, right? He's aware of this, right? And acknowledges it here. I think is enabled to acknowledge it by Gandalf. Um, Gandalf seems really to be exerting his power in order to accomplish that here. I don't seem to be able to make up my mind. Then trust mine. It's quite made up. Go away and leave it behind. Stop possessing it. Give it to Frodo, and I will look after him. Bilbo stood for a moment, tense and undecided. Presently he sighed. All right, he said with an effort. I will. Then he shrugged his shoulders and smiled rather ruefully. After all, that's what this party business was all about, really to give away lots of birthday presents and somehow make it easier to give it away at the same time. It hasn't made it any easier in the end, but it would be a pity to waste all my preparations. It would quite spoil the joke. Indeed, it would take away the only point I ever saw in the affair, said Gandalf. Very well, said Bilbo. It goes to Frodo with all the rest. Okay, now, I think very significant here is Gandalf's tone in that last comment. It would take away the only point I ever saw in the affair. Um, he's teasing Bilbo again. That's a good sign, right? Gandalf is... This This shows things are returned to normal, right? Teasing is normal. Um, okay, so... Um, uh, but notice what Bilbo admits. Bilbo has known... Again, he's been self-aware. He's known he's been of two minds. He's wanted, you know... His first answer was exactly correct. Don't you want to give away to give up the ring? Yes and no. And he's known the answer to that question is yes and no. Right? It's his plan to give up the ring. He wants to give up the ring. But he doesn't want to give up the ring. So he does the party and the joke in a sense almost to fool himself into doing it. Right? Um... Uh, somehow make it easier to give it away at the same time. It hasn't worked, right? But uh, it's almost like he was trying to manipulate himself, right? Um, yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, now, several of you are talking about the I, right? Yes, of course. Uh, we know about the I, but nobody else does, right? Um, I think it's important not to uh, not to look at Bilbo's comment there and read that with a capital E, right? It seems like an I looking at me, right? Um, no idea. He has no idea. The readers have no idea. Um, it's interesting that he thinks of it that way. Because, first of all, remember, it's not the eye. The eye of Sauron is not looking at him through the ring. It's the ring's will that he is perceiving, which is separate from Sauron's will. Okay? Um, uh, so again, it's this perception of... Um, um, 
it's this uh, it, it's this perception of difference, like independent will, right? Again, like it's there. Are sometimes I feel like it isn't my possession, but like it's looking back at me, right? Like it's um, it has a will of its own. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Yes, Tony. We'll do that the other way around. When we get to Gandalf and Theoden, we will recall this moment. But let's not talk about Gandalf and... Th- we can't talk about Gandalf and Theoden now. But yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, I agree, it's still super creepy, the idea that the ring is looking back at you. It, 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 it clearly is, it clearly is. Um, uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, hold your... I'm going to kind of play dumb for a second. That is, I want to stick to what we know from the text. Holder's asking, um, is why is the ring's will still separate from Sauron's will? You know, how can we tell the difference? Well, we can't. Yeah, no idea, right? But, of course, we don't know who else's will is involved, right? We just know that this ring... What do we know? We know that Gandalf believes that the ring has some kind of hold on Bilbo. We know that Bilbo believes it's like somebody else looking back at him. That's the sum total of what we know about the ring. Right? And it's magical. And makes you invisible. Um, so, yeah. We have, we, have, we have no clue. I'm not just trying to duck your question, Holger. We'll get there. And we'll talk much more about these things in Chapter 2, which we're doing next time. And we're totally getting close to next time. Um, but... Um, uh, but yeah, I, 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 Tony, exactly. I think that we can stick to, uh, um, the ring has some kind of will. He drew a deep breath. And now I really must be starting or somebody else will catch me. I have said goodbye and I couldn't bear to do it all over again. He picked up his bag and moved to the door. You've still got the ring in your pocket, said the wizard. Well, so I have, cried Bilbo, and my will and all the other documents, too. That's what else is in the bulky envelope, right? Um, if he had walked off with the ring, he also would have walked off with his will, which means that Frodo would have been in a world of trouble, or at least a world of headaches, right? Um, the fact that his will is in the envelope and he puts the ring in the envelope shows how integral a part of his original plan, the whole plan, right, leaving the ring was. Um... It's with the will. The will obviously is supposed to stay behind, right? No question. It's not absent-mindedness. Um, anyway, okay, sorry. Uh, and my will and all the other documents, too? You had better take it and deliver it for me. That will be safest. No, don't give the ring to me, said Gandalf. Put it on the mantelpiece. It will be safe enough there till Frodo comes. I shall wait for him. Bilbo took out the envelope, but just as he was about to set it by the clock, his hand jerked back, and the packet fell on the floor. Before he could pick it up, the wizard stooped and seized it and set it in its place. A spasm of anger passed swiftly over the hobbit's face again. Suddenly it gave way to a look of relief and a laugh. Well, that's that, he said. Now I'm off. Okay, let's look well, let's look carefully here. So, his walking off with the ring. Well, okay, there we go. I must be starting, right? Um, this seems to be unconscious. That is, I don't think this is him like, oh, shoot, Gandalf, I had hoped you wouldn't notice that. Um, We have seen Bilbo in two minds, right? 
we have seen this kind of split in Bilbo's mind. And this seems to be one half of him kind of unconsciously uh, doing this, right? Um, you know, this is the this is the no part of the no, I don't really want to give it up that's kind of coming out, right? Um, so I have. Remember, he, he thought he had left it on the mantelpiece before, right? Um, the fact that he's saying you'd better take it and deliver it for me seems to me an excellent sign, right? Like, that is to say, I think it's very clear by the time we get to this part of the passage, Bilbo has really, genuinely made up his mind to give up the ring. His will was being briefly chained, held, right? The ring had some hold on him, like he was being dominated, enslaved by the will. When he was going all my precious, right, uh, on the ring, Gandalf seems to have eased that, to have broken that power. And Gandalf and Bilbo responded, becoming more aware of his situation, having his will now free to choose, right? And he's chosen, I believe, of his own free will. And he's really genuinely chosen. But we can see the ring still working. We can see that other part of him. That hold is still there, right? The ring can make him forget that he hasn't put it back up on the mantelpiece. I think the fact that he says to Gandalf, you'd better take it and deliver it for me, proves to me that he genuinely, fully has decided, has chosen to give it up. Because five minutes ago, right, uh, if Gandalf had said, give it to me, I'll hold it for Frodo, right, Bilbo would have been like, aha, right, I knew you wanted it for yourself, you admit it, right, and now he's offering to hand it to Gandalf, whom he was looking at with so much, with so much suspicion before, right? So clearly, clearly, he has chosen and is okay with his choice, mostly, on one level, right? Um, but he can't. He, he physically, like, jerks back, right? He's trying to put it up, and then he pulls back, and it drops. Gandalf intervenes then, which is a big deal. Gandalf says, don't give the ring. He doesn't want to hold the ring, but he does touch the envelope, right? See, Gandalf does hold the ring very briefly, long enough to pick it up and put it on the mantelpiece, Right? Um, is Gandalf saying that, John Osgoss asks, because Gandalf thinks there's, uh, uh, like, because he isn't sure he can handle it, right? Um, or as a gesture to make sure Bilbo has no suspicions whatsoever. Um, I, I, John Osgoss, I, I think the latter. He doesn't want to antagonize Bilbo. Um, clearly Gandalf doesn't think, like, if I touch it, I shall be destroyed, or it shall overcome me. Right? He clearly doesn't think that, or he wouldn't pick it up and put it on the mantelpiece. He'd be like, no, floor's fine, actually, just leave... Uh, I can see it there, just leave it there. Right? Um, he seems to want to give Bilbo some closure. Look, there it is sitting on the mantelpiece, just like you intended. Right? You're following through on, the in, on, your, on your plan. Right? That's clearly what Gandalf wants, and that seems to him more important than touching the ring or the envelope that the ring is in. Right? So yes, I think when Gandalf says, don't give the ring to me, put it on the mantelpiece... He is making sure that that bag, that can of worms, isn't going to open up again. Don't, don't. He doesn't want to give the, you know, the Gollum side uh, an excuse to pop its head back up, right? Um, uh, anyway, that's sort of my guess. Anyway, um, and now Bilbo is off. Uh, 
the spasm of anger crosses his face, right? When he sees Gandalf, sees it, the verb sees, I think is really important there. Gandalf seizes it. And Bilbo gets angry, but it gives way to a look of relief and a laugh, right? The relief is the response, is the other side of the anger, right? The laugh is the return of his normal personality, right? Just like Gandalf's return to teasing Bilbo, it would take away the only point I ever saw in the whole affair, right? Is again like that return to normal, to normal personality. Um, yes, Veronica, in the movie he says, don't tempt me. Um, uh, he doesn't say that here, right? Um, there's very little evidence that Gandalf is tempted by the ring in this passage. Um, and I think it's important. I think it's important to remember. Um, all right. Um, uh, let's, uh, yeah, we'll, exactly. As several of you are pointing out, he is going to say that, but not yet. Right? Not yet. Um, I think it's important that he doesn't say that here to Bilbo. It shows us, I think, Gandalf doesn't know that much about the ring. He's, he, he, he doesn't know what the ring is. But we'll come back more to what Gandalf does and does not know next time. Um, okay, so... Let's... Uh, um, we'll stop for now. It's field trip time. It's past field trip time. I'm late. I had to finish the scene with, with Bilbo and Gandalf. Um, uh, but... Uh, um, so, I'm sorry that we're late, but it's, it's uh, field trip time. I want to go on the field trip. Um... Uh, but um, next time, so next time we're gonna talk. We're gonna do chapter two, and I want to especially focus in chapter two on the beginning of chapter two. Um, think about the way what we're told about what, what we see about Hobbit society as time passes. Okay, of course, in particular, it will not um, escape your notice, right? That. Uh, we get a corresponding conversation at the beginning of chapter two, right? We'll, we'll get the conversation about, um, um, uh, between Sam and Ted Sandyman, right? Corresponding to the conversation between Gaffer and, uh, Sandyman, uh, in chapter one. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Finn, I have no idea how long chapter two is going to take. Uh, it's going to be a little while, but, um, but anyway, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get there. We got time. Uh, we got plenty of time. So, um, so, so read chapter two, focus especially on that conversation and we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, now it's field trip time. Let's look at, uh, let's, let's go and do some exploring in the game, uh, stuff that is connected to the things we've been looking at here in chapter one. So remember what we've already done. We did the party tree. Right, and we looked at the party field and how uh, they were adapting what we learned about the party, and uh, especially the way that they're kind of bringing that forward in time uh, to uh, uh, to seventeen years later, right to the time right after Frodo has departed. So we've got Lobelia, Sackville Baggins running, um, running Bag End, right, and planning a new party in the party tree. Um, last week we looked at the uh, the play, 
right? Um, the uh, the the story of Mad Baggins, um, of course, as as that very directly connected is you know too serendipitous that the Yule uh, festival was still just going on, uh, and uh, and and we could watch that play last week right after we were talking about that. So I wanted to look at the way they they use that kind of storytelling, um, and um, now. I want to go and I want to look at the Shire more. We spent a lot of time looking at the Shire uh, and the Shire culture. So today we're going to go, we're going to start in Mickledelving. Um, and I want to look, I want to get to Bag End. We'll end at Bag End. Um, but I want to, uh, uh, I want to go to Mickledelving and then uh, just kind of look around and see how are they treating uh, the Shire? How are they, um, uh, how are they uh, uh, handling their depiction of the Shire? Because of course so much of the Shire we don't see Mickledelving is like way off, you know, in the West Farthing. We never, we, we never get that far uh, within the narrative of the Lord of the Rings itself. So um, what, do we, uh, what do we see? So, okay, so let's, let's head over to Mickle Delving and uh, let's, start, let's start exploring the Shire and how they've handled the Shire and the Shire culture. Um, and I'll uh, be interested to hear your observations. Please do carry on, uh, those of you who are in Discord with me, carry on please making observations as we go along. That'll be fun. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to head off to, um, uh, uh, to the Bree Stablemaster. If you guys want to come along with me, uh, VIPs can swift travel from there. Uh, or we can, you know, slow travel or whatever. Um, but rather than milestoning tonight, I just decided I'd take a, I'd, I'd take a horse, and we'd head out there. So I'm going to exit the beautiful Lore Hall. I just love this place. It's just awesome. Sorry. Okay. Uh, distracted. Sorry. Distracted for a second there, looking around at the Lore Hall. Now I'm headed out to the stable master. Um, uh, don't they go to Mickle Delving during the scouring? Well, we hear about Mickle Delving and about stuff that happens at Mickle Delving, but the narr- the narrative doesn't really. We don't really travel to Mickle Delving exactly. I mean, we're certainly not in any detail. Again, we hear about stuff that happens there, um, presumably, but it's never like a now to Mickle Delving. So. Um, yeah, I, I just use it as an example of something which is in which is there are many parts in the Shire that are nothing but map points, right? I mean, you know, just names on a map, um, but we never hear anything else about them at all. Um, uh, um, there are other places which are a name and even an important name, like Mickledelving, um, but still, we don't ever actually go there or learn much about it uh, in the books. Um, and this, of course, is the. Uh, this, of course, is the uh, one of the really fun things about the game. Um, of course, it's great fun when the game, uh, you know, when the the lo- oh, gosh, sorry, yeah. So there's me and my uh, uh, my issue again. Um, I may have to take uh, if I keep having my crashing issue. It's again, it's an, this is an operating system issue. Um, the uh, the Standing Stone folks have confessed to me that there is a known issue with uh, compatibility with Mac OS Sierra with their Mac client. I'm using Sierra because I've got my nice spanking brand new computer which runs on Sierra, uh, and uh, it's given me this trouble. So I'm sorry uh, for that. Um, if it continues to be a problem, I'll take more extreme ways to try to go around this. But uh, sorry. 
Anyway, okay, so um, so let's head off to Mickle Delving. Um, you know what it means? The name Mickle Delving. Mickle's a great word, and it's definitely Mickle. Uh, uh, Mickle is how it's uh, how it's yeah. It means the big dig, Hologro, Exactly, the big dig is the perfect translation of Mickle Delving. Um, Mickle means uh, great, strong, mighty. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big word, uh, in, uh, Anglo-Saxon and Middle English. Um, and, uh, you can still hear the word mickle just being used as a, as an intensifier, like a, a great thing. Um, all right. So, excellent. Let's, oh, hang on a second. I always compulsively introduce myself to stable masters I, that are still blue. Okay. Off we go. Uh, so let's, let's actually head over... The first thing I want to hit is the Burden Baby. Because you can't go to Mickle Delving and not go to the Burden Baby. Right? Um, uh, the Burden Baby, of course, is the one sort of flagrantly and unapologetically non-Middle-Earth element uh, in Lotro. Um, I don't. I can't think of any others that are like this. Of course, this is a reference not to anything. You know, there there are several named pubs uh, uh, in the uh, in the books, and every single one of them is in the game. You know, the Green Dragon, the Ivy Bush, the Golden Perch, the Floating Log, um, uh, the the Forsaken Inn. All of those are are actually named uh, uh, in the book, and they're all here, and they're all in the places where they're supposed to be, and they all have their nice inn signs which depict the thing. Um, this, of course, is not a reference to any inn from Middle Earth, but rather a reference to the pub in which. Uh, which Tolkien himself frequented in Oxford. It's the place where the Inklings met. Uh, the actual name of the pub is the Eagle and Child. It was colloquial called, colloquially called by the locals the Burden Baby. Um, and so that's what this is a reference to. This sign is uh, uh, a not exact but close replica of the actual pub sign that hangs above the Burden Baby still to this day uh, in Oxford uh, if, you go, uh, if you go and see it. So let's... Uh, Let's go into the Burden Baby in, uh, uh, as it's called here. And of course, it's a, it's a nice Hobbit pub, uh, right? The favorite, the, the, again, the, 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 the clear references in the back room, right? There's some quests that you get in here and stuff, and some of the locals that you can see, Esmeralda Baggins, uh, Esmeralda Burroughs, excuse me. Right. Um, but, uh, of course, the main feature is back over here in this in this side room. So you've got lots of tables out here right by the bar and everything. But then there's this little alcove ish room. It's not closed off. It's just an alcove. Um, and there's uh, well, OK, there's there's, of course, now with all of us in here, kind of a crowd. But there's several people hanging out. Right. There's uh, there's Carlo Williams and there's Jack Lewis down. And there's uh, this guy over here, Owen Farfield. And, of course, this is a reference to the three other primary inklings, um, Owen Barfield, uh, Carlos Williams, or Carlos Williams, uh, Charles Williams, and, uh, and C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis's nickname was Jack. Everybody called him Jack. Um, by the way, the story is that he gave himself that nickname. Um, and no wonder, of course, as his name, his C.S. stands for Clive Staples. Um, and if your first name was Clive, you might decide one day, as Jack apparently did when he was a kid, he came down one day and just said, uh, um, I will be called Jaxie. 
and like his family and friends called him Jack, uh, pretty much for the rest of his life. Um, so anyway, so Jack Lewis down is 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 C.S. Lewis. Um, Tolkien himself is represented also by a Hobbit in the game, but he's not here uh, in this room now. Of course, there's another inside joke in the features of this room, uh, which is over here in this corner. Uh, you may notice behind this crate is a rabbit. It's just a random rabbit sitting in the corner of this room. Uh, and that's, of course, a reference to the fact that the, the actual spot in the Burden Baby pub in Oxford, where the Inklings liked to go in and sit, is this little alcove that's set near... So you, 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 you come in the Burden Baby, and the bar's up on your right right away, and there's sort of a narrow, straight... Pet. It's, a, it's, a, it's a really confined space. It's an old pub, uh, so it's a really, it's a really confined space. Uh, you sort of come forward down this like tunnel-like hall, and off to your left is a little alcove, kind of like this, um, where, there's, where there are tables, and that's where the Inklings used to sit, in that room, and the, that room was called the Rabbit Room. I don't know why the room in the actual pub was named the Rabbit Room, but... Um, uh, but but it was, and so it, w- it was in the rabbit room in the Burden Baby uh, that the Inklings used to sit. So that's why uh, that's why Carlo, Jack, and uh, and Owen are, are are sitting around here in this room with a random rabbit uh, in the uh, uh, in the corner. So this is just kind of a funny. You know, this is a this is this whole pub is in a sense a kind of Easter egg, right? And so, you know, a couple of fun little Easter eggs here in the back room uh, with Inkling stuff. Um, and like I said, it's it's really the only place where they kind of go outside of Middle Earth and the books themselves. Otherwise, they restrict themselves pretty carefully uh, to what the books depict. Um, but uh, but of course, I can't I can't grudge them the burden, baby. This is a lot of fun. Um, so um, uh, so yeah. So let's come out of the burden, baby, and let's go. Let's look around uh, Mickle Delving a little bit here. Um, this is sort of the main square of Mickle Delving up here. And of course, Mickle Delving is important because it's the, it's the biggest city in the Shire. It's the most important uh, city in the Shire. And so, of course, you would expect to find Mayor Will Whitfoot here. There's old Flower Dumpling himself. Notice, of course, uh, it, is a, it is a standard feature of Lotro Hobbit physiology that every Hobbit, especially male Hobbits, have pot bellies. If you, um, if you play a Hobbit um, uh, in Lotro, you can, you can do what you want, you know, you can kind of affect when you're setting up your character, you can give him different body types and stuff, but you can't get rid of his pot belly. All hobbits have pot bellies. But Mayor Will Woodfoot has a larger pot belly than most. You can see that he, uh, first of all, has a... Uh, uh, a rather nice waistcoat, right? This is his waistcoat under his jacket. Uh, notice how his waistcoat is strained to bursting along the buttons here, right? Um, uh, he's got a he's got a he's got a nice suit. Uh, the mayor is wearing here, um, but clearly he is plumper uh, than most. Um, but this is a good thing. He is a hobbit of substance. Um, nobody looks down on him for his chubbiness. Uh, people probably make fat jokes because we're comfortable with that in the Shire. Um, but um, uh, I remember he's called Old Flower Dumpling because of the time the ceiling collapsed and he he was uh, he was uh, uh, you know covered in covered in dust. Um, that's the flower, right? But the dumpling uh, is is a is, is a fat joke, right? Um, and it's true that, as Gilgir reminds us, the mayor's main job was presiding at feasts. Exactly. Uh, right. So, um, and, and there's that reference again at the end to it would be a while before uh, Will Whitfoot looked the part. Right. Um, he, he's he got to be fattened up. It almost reminds me of that uh, uh, that moment in uh, 
uh, in the um, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas special, right, where Mrs. Claus is like, eat, Santa, eat, right? She's got to fatten him up for Christmas. Uh, it's kind of like that with being mayor of the Shire, apparently. Um, if you're not if you're not tubby, uh, you you won't do. Which makes me wonder about Sam. Frankly, did Sam change the model? You know, when Sam became mayor, did he go all like, you know, uh, sleek and chiseled is the new look for the mayor of the Shire, or or did he you know become all plump and 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 start looking the part too? I frankly suspect the latter. But anyway. Um, uh, maybe his ironmongery uh, uh, wouldn't uh, um, wouldn't uh, wouldn't fit. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, cool. So yeah. So uh, now um, Tim is noticing that he's not wearing the chain of the Lord Mayor. I don't think he would. This is not a state occasion, Tim. Uh, Will's just hanging here. Um, you know, he's not, this, I don't think he would wear it around. That actually seems to me a, a good call for him not to be wearing uh, chain, a, ch- a chain of office. Um, I think, uh, I think he would, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think he would. It doesn't seem like the kind of, uh, the kind of ceremony that hobbits would, would stand on, I don't think. Um, uh, I remember even the sheriffs are only differentiated from anybody else by the fact that they've got a feather in their caps, right? Um, okay, so here's... Uh, um, notice the monument in the middle of Mickle Delving. So, now getting, so, so Will Woodfoot is one of the only elements of, uh, of Mickle Delving that gets mentioned in the book, right? We don't know much else. Uh, that's why they put the burden baby here. Not only because of course it's the capital, like the capital of the Shire. So that's, that's a, a good place to put the burden baby, but because of course we don't know what it is. So we don't, uh, you know, that we've never been there. So we're not told what the pub, presumably there was at least one pub in Mickle Delving and it did have a name, but of course Tolkien never names it. Um, uh, this is, uh, oh yes, the top players in, uh, uh, in what in, um, uh, <laughs> in hide and seek, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, um, uh, so uh, uh, who can explain the statue? Big old statue, right? So there's this old tree, and it's been carved out into the statue of these three people, these three hobbits. One of whom is crouching. One of whom is holding up a. Where did he go? Can I? Yeah, one of whom is holding a lantern. The other of whom is looking like this. Yeah, exactly. This is, um, um, this is, that's, those, those are supposed to be Marco and Blanco, um, the two hobbits who founded the Shire. This is Mickle Delving, right? Um, this is the, this is the, you know, sort of the heart and capital of the Shire. Um, JJ, I don't know. Who is the third one? Does anybody know who the third one? Who's the girl? Is it their mom? I want to think it's their mom, because that would be awesome. Right, it would be awesome if they chose to make a big old like, this is like Hobbit Mount Rushmore, right? Uh, you know, with Marco and Blanco, the founders of the of the Shire, and uh, uh, and if they chose to depict them with their mom standing over them, that would be hilarious, right? Oh, it's Booka of the Marish, the other explorer. Okay, all right, maybe, maybe. Um, uh, 
<laughs> JJ says maybe Lobelia bullied her way onto the statue. <laughs> maybe. Um. Oh, you could. I see. I see. I, I, I don't know anything about the Bounders Bounty uh, event that was on the plaque there. Um, an event that people could donate Bounders tokens uh, for. Uh, okay, I see. All right. Yeah. Well, I agree. The 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 lamp does imply an explorer. Um, I still prefer the interpretation that it's their mom. Love that idea. It might not be. Um, but um, but okay. So we commemorate the founding of the. The founding of the uh, of the Shire here are these uh, these are sheriffs right? This is like a sheriff meeting going on over here, right? We're getting ready to we're kind of going over things here. We're looking at we're looking at notes. These are different bounders, right? Getting ready to go about their bounding business. All right, she's the bounder token collector, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Cool. Now, of course, we have over here this uh, this sort of monument park, which is a new thing, right? All these different these different monuments. That's a post-server move thing. That wasn't an original part of Mickle Delving. It's a newfound kind of intra-game thing that's not really native to Mickle Delving. Um, but uh, yeah, cool. So let's just kind of let's kind of let's kind of walk around. Notice I like how we depict most of them are in uh, holes, but of course it's not just a door in the side of the hill, right? Many of these are sort of built out from the hill, like they didn't want to actually chip into this rock, so this hobbit house is is along it, but it's still it's still set against the hill and looks like a hole. Some of these are more obviously holes uh, in the side of the hill. You can see like this, um, you know, some people building a city would want to, choose a nice flat space, right, to build their city up on, but of course not hobbits. They find a nice, uh, a nice cluster of hills that they can put lots of, uh, lots of holes snuggled into, right? So that's, uh, that's kind of cool. Um, and yes, uh, Nick, I love how even the houses look like holes. You can see the sort of the characteristic hobbit architecture. Notice how they have turf roofs, right? Um, not only the round windows and doors, of course, but uh, uh, but the, even the ones that are freestanding or sort of semi-freestanding, like this one. I don't know if this one goes back into the uh, goes back into the hill as well. It might, it may do, right? There's no uh, there's no clear as evidence that it does. This one, I'm think I, I'm thinking must, right? Or this is a very very small house indeed. This kind of this this must go back into the into the the hill. Um, but but again, even when they're like this one over here, where they don't. We can see the uh, the grass roofs, right? The turf, the turf roofs. Um, makes me think of the Return of the Shadow, where it was one of the things that the hobbits in uh, the draft we were discussing last Wednesday were really emphasizing was the importance of uh, of turf on a ceiling. I should mount up here. Um, okay, so let's um, let's head off. Uh, always look at the map for a second. The map follows the the map of the Shire in the book very closely. Everything in the map. Um, that is the the map, the the published map in the book. Um, really, uh, really should. Oh, right. Maven is reminding me. I didn't go to the Matham House. Okay, let's go to the Matham House. But anyway, everything on the map is is from the map in the book, and um, uh, and uh, and again, it's just to me, it's part of the. It's certainly the first imprint. No, where is the? Matham. I always forget the road to the Matham House. It's over here, right? 
up that hill straight ahead there is that right where am I oh yeah this one this hill right okay thank you let's follow the herd headed up to the mouth of mouse there it is up on the hill right now notice how that's a house right completely freestanding house nobody lives there though right it's not when they're building their homes they don't build their homes to look like this though even it has round windows right um, and something of the kind of, you know, piled on look that it has over here. But, uh, but okay, yeah. So let's. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dismount. Let's go into the Matham House. Look around in the Matham House. If I can climb stairs, you know, which would be useful. Help! I'm now running into fences. Okay. <laughs> okay. Navigating the steps shouldn't be such a huge challenge. What is going on? Like running in this direction permanently. What is happening to me? Help! Okay. I'm serious. These stairs are like repelling me. It's like an anti-Narnian field on these steps. Why can't I go up these steps? Here I am. I'm going. We're going up the steps. Look at that! I made it! Oh, my standing is too low. I can't go in. Of course. I don't have acquaintance standing. So, Okay. I can't go in and see the Mathams in the Matham house. Maybe another time I can come and see the Mathams. But anyway, so there's some there's some relics of Hobbit history in there. I'll just have to leave the Matham house as a kind. Of, remember, this is the place where it's still, even though somebody else opened the door, it's not going to let me in. Um, it's um, uh, it's uh, anyway. So um, the point. Uh, there's, there's, this is a place, of course, you'll remember, this is the place to which Bilbo lent his mithril coat, right? His mithril coat was on display here in the Matham house. Um, and there's, um, uh, there's, there's, uh, a bunch of others. There's some stuff from, uh, uh, from Bullroar took and everything. Um, I have to admit, at first when I went into the Matham house, I was kind of, I was a little bit disappointed. I was kind of expecting it to be cooler inside than it was. Um, or than I thought it was, but of course, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, um, I'm like, there's not that much to say. Like that is, we get really comparatively few stories from Hobbit history, um, so there's not as much. Um, uh, there's there's not as much. Uh, uh, um, there's not as many stories for them to allude to uh, in the Matham House as I might have. Uh, as I might have thought. And of course, Gilgalir is reminding me um, that uh, we have to remember what a Matham is, something no one else wants but doesn't want to get rid of. So perhaps expecting the Matham House to be like, you know, to look like the British Museum Hobbit version, right, is maybe perhaps a little bit unrealistic. But uh, anyway, okay. Uh, I will, I'll saddle up uh, and uh, head back Let's 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 go back to our map ex- exploration here. So, um, okay, so I wanted to head out towards Waymead, um, and go in that. So we were looking at houses, and I was looking at the map and saying that. Oh yeah, I was saying that the, you know, the great fun, and I know for myself, you know, as a huge Tolkien fan, when I was first playing Lotro, the coolest part of the Lotro experience for me was being able to go off the map, right? That is, off the book map. Being able to go past the places that are actually described and, and are, 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 you know, the places which were only names on a map before, 
right? I mean, like, I looked at the map, and I'm like, what's the Rushik Bog? Rushik Bog's on the map, right? In the book, uh, you know, the green fields are mentioned, but what's the Bindbowl Wood? I don't even know, right? Um, what are Brock... What's Brocken Borings like? You know, I, 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 you know, all of these things, not to mention, of course, Mickle Delving itself. You know, these were all things that I, um, I'd always, you know sort of wondered about and you know you kind of it's like we will see Frodo doing in chapter 2 looking at maps and wondering what lay beyond their edges right it's part of the experience of reading the Lord of the Rings Um, and so being in this you know getting immersed in this game world where you can actually see some of these things and see like you know and, and to me you know there are some people I suspect who might say Oh, well, you know, doesn't that ruin the fun? It ruins the perception of depth to actually see, like, okay, well, this is what Waymeet looks like, right? We hear about Waymeet, but we don't, we never really see Waymeet. Well, here it is. Um, okay, but I don't think it, redu- at least for me, it doesn't reduce it at all. Um, it's, I still have my own imaginings. There are some things that are not like the way I imagine them, and so I'm like, okay, um, you know, that's, um, um, that's, uh, um, uh, that's fine. Um, but again, just to me, the way it engages my ima- and even sort of challenges my own imagination. There are some times when I didn't have any kind of a clear picture, and when I see something, even when I don't like what I see in the game, when I see it and I'm like, no, that's not right, it prompts me to think, well, why don't I think it's right? How did I think it would look, right? Um, and again, that's fun. It's all part of the really fun game. Um, this place is called Waymeet. Um, which, of course, is clear why it's called that on the map, right? Because this is the place where two ways meet, right? It's the intersection uh, of these two roads. The, the the road which comes down from the... So this is the dwarf road that comes down from the Blue Mountains, from the Arid Lewin, and then comes and then goes out straight, becomes the east road across the Shire and off towards Bree. Right, um, so that's coming down here, but we have these, you know, the road out to Mickle Delving and the road down into the South Farthing. Um, so just look for a second at what they've done with Waymeet. What do we have here? Wagons, right? Lots of wagons. Wagons with round doors. Are these? migratory hobbits, right? Apparently, these are obviously hobbit holes. Um, we know that, you know, we're, we're told that there are some, you know, hobbits who are... Of course, it's the hobbits that are outside the Shire that, that Tolkien is talking about when he says this, um, that are scarcely be- more than tramps, right? Um, and will live in, you know, just like a regular hole in a bank. Um these are not hobbits of that kind, right? Um, look at this wagon, for instance, right? It is ornately carved, highly decorated, beautifully painted, right? With shingles on the roof and flower beds all around, right? Um, this is a home which is portable, Right, but it's uh, uh, it's not slovenly. It doesn't even look poor, right? I mean, it's it's hard to even say that this is. Uh, I mean, somebody was just joking that Waymeet in the game here is like a Hobbit slum, but it's not really a slum. I mean, there's no evidence that the people who live here are are very poor, right? Um, 
It's a, a Hobbit trailer park. Technically, yes, it's a Hobbit trailer park. Um, but it's more like it's more like uh, it's more like gypsy hobbits. It's a tiny home community, Dime. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I, I, I mean, I kind of I kind of like this idea. The idea that there are there are you know hobbits that do choose to live like this that live out of uh, out of these wagons though even the wagons like the houses are made to live like uh, are made to look like holes right and that's and that's kind of fun but even the just again the the painting the decoration the bright colors the flowers right i mean all of these seem to me um they're so cozy anyway it just i it's uh it still strikes me as as uh as, as very fittingly Hobbit-like. It doesn't seem like a totally different element of Hobbit culture. And there's there's some regular homes right over here. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Tony thinks maybe they're retired Hobbits in their RVs. Possibly. Possibly. Um, uh, somebody was asking what these things are here. Those are... Um, Barns? They're like uh, grain bins, aren't they? Like silo, like hobbit silos. I believe that's what those are. A lot of farmland, right? The Hobbit is uh, is, uh, is, uh, is 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 very rich farmland. We see farmland all over the place. I'm pretty sure that that's what these are. I think these are like granaries, kind of like we saw in um, uh, in Hobbiton, right, by the mill. When we first went there, um, let's. Uh, um, uh, oh, hang on, I'm running out of time. I was going to go to Tuckboro too, but maybe we'll save Tuckboro for another night. Since we're going to spend a few weeks on uh, um, uh, chapter two. We're going to kind of be in the Shire here still for a while, so we'll have uh, time to explore some different areas of the Shire, and I'd like to, I'd like to do that uh, as we go on for our field trips. Uh, um, now, this is where we were before. This is downtown, downtown Hobbiton, right? Hello there. Hey there, Bogo Chub. Good to see you. Um, here's the Ivy Bush, right, with its Ivy Bush sign. Um, we headed across the water and up the hill uh, before. Let's first let's run down quickly to Bywater. Um, you'll notice how uh, uh, Hobbiton and Bywater are spoken of like a single community, right? Um, that is, folks in Hobbiton don't seem to think that the folks in Bywater are queer, right? Um, over in Buckland, yeah, yeah, but not 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 in Bywater. So we see the Bywater is just down the road. Right here we are coming into downtown Bywater now, right? So uh, a a, uh, a little walk now. Distances in Lotro, of course, are not exactly uh, one to one scale, right? Um, but here's uh, here's Bywater, which they make much more sort of mercantile, right? Hobbiton is a much more, um, uh, you know, they make that into kind of a, a more, sort of a sleepy. Like there's the mill and there's the pub, and that's kind of all there is. There's the Postman, right? There's the, there's 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 the post office, um, but there's little else in Hobbiton other other than other than houses. It's like a Hobbit suburb, right? Whereas this is a much more much there's a there's like a an open air market here in Bywater, right? Um, which is uh, uh, which is cool, right? And here's the Green Dragon, and you can see the Green Dragon, uh, the Green Dragon sign. Um, 
And the green dragon is made out of bricks, right? With a with a, a slate or shingle roof, right? Um, slate or wooden tiles. Um, yeah, it's interesting that it's made out of bricks. Bricks are not unknown in the Shire, but but it's it's unusual, right? Um, they give the sense here that uh, um, Bywater is more blue collar than Hobbiton, right? Um, with its brick building and its marketplace and everything. At least anyway, it's the impression that I get. And of course, we know that it's called Bywater because it's by the water, right? And this, of course, is the water in question. The river is called the water, and we have its uh, uh, the gray pool next to Bywater is mentioned uh, specifically, right? And so this is uh, uh, Bywater by its gray pool. So we have the... Uh, yeah, but again, the, the path of the rivers follows the path of the rivers on the Shire map. Um, and they've been careful to include a pool and some waterfront property here, right? As, uh, as we can, we've even got, a, even got a nice willow tree, right, down by the water, which is, of course, where one can expect to find willow trees. All right, so let's head up to Bag End, and we'll finish up at Bag End, uh, since that's where we were, and that's where we'll still be next time. But let's, uh, let's cross the water on this awesome little bridge here and then we'll head across and up the up to the hill there we can see the hill there looming in the distance we got as far as Bagshot Row after week one I figure we should get uh, all the way sorry to cross your fields like this a little bit rude but there we are okay so we're just uphill there's the granaries, right? There's the the mill is just down to our left, so we're turning. Here's Bagshot Row, right? One, two, three, Bagshot Row. Gaffer's still probably out in his vegetable garden. I'll wager. Here's the party field with its gate, right, that we saw before. We still have the gate up, no longer looking like a fresh white painted gate, but a weathered gate, right? We saw this before. Now, this time, let's go on up the hill. And, uh, um, pretend uh, we have party business and uh, knock on the door of Bag End. I think we'll end outside here. Okay, very good. Gotta dismount. Alright, and this is Bag End. First of all, you can see how um, spacious it is. Now you'll notice um, the orientation of Bag End is kind of tricky. On the one hand, Tolkien says in The Hobbit that it goes, it runs straight back into the hill, but that it has windows on one side. Right? Um, and I have a hard time picturing that. What they depicted here is more like it was when Tolkien painted it. Um, again, if you look, and uh, there is a gorgeous view, right? These, uh, this little, uh, this little seating area out here. I like to think, by the way, that these are the two chairs. This is where this is where uh, Bilbo must have been sitting and smoking in Chapter One of The Hobbit, and and Gandalf came and sat with him here. Um, so I like to think that that Bilbo was sitting right out here, looking down over 
the party field immediately below, right? There's the party tree, and then the mill down here by the river, right? And there's the water at the bottom of the hill. Across the way, right? You can see that's Tuckborough over there in the distance. Um, but again, if you go to the road, the road from Waymeet, this is up, up the hill, here's Hobbiton down here. Right, if you go up the hill from Hobbiton, there's where the road, the east road, crosses. Uh, so right, you see right, right, right there. If you go and stand right there and you look back in this direction towards the hill, you can see uh, how much it looks like Tolkien's painting of this. But anyway, so, okay, so Bag End, um, we see a whole bunch of windows, but we know that one side of the house was supposed to have windows. You can see this is a grand residence, right? This is, Bag End is like a manor house in Hobbit terms, and that was very clear uh, in the book. It's a, a, a beautiful and luxurious hole that he made, Bungo made, right, with, uh, with Belladonna's money. Um, and, of course, hard to see her in the crowd, which I can't imagine she appreciates, but there's Lobelia and uh, Lotho. Right, Otho's dead, right? She would definitely not appreciate having a horse on her front step, gotta tell you. Uh, but uh, uh, she still looks pretty spry, right? Um, face a little pinched and mean, right? But she's... Uh, she doesn't look that bad. Lobelia looks like a redeemable character, I think, right? She looks like somebody who uh, is going to become popular before she dies. Um, Lotho, though, I don't know, man. I'm not sure you can trust somebody with sideburns like that. And a bowl cut. And his face. I don't know, you know? I mean, he looks like he's in pain. Lotho does. I pity Lotho already. Uh, also, no waistcoat. He's just got this short sleeve jacket thing going on, right? Little cravat, be like, I am of the landed gentry, right? But, but he's not wearing a good self-respecting waistcoat like Will Whitfoot was. I just, you can't trust that guy. Um, there's the bell, right? The bell on which a, a stream of visitors was hanging. According to, to, to Bilbo, of course, his, uh, his door is uh, painted green with a, uh, a, 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 a gold knob in the exact middle, right? So that's all good. All right, we'll, we'll enter back in next time. We'll, we'll do some more exploring. I want to look around the Shire, not just the things that are mentioned uh, in, the, uh, in the books, but some of the other places um, that, where they had to invent to see how do they depict Shire culture? What do they show going on? in the Shire. I don't know if we'll actually do any quests, but I may talk about some of the Shire quests uh, as we as we go along. So I'm going to have to leave it here. We're way over time tonight. Thanks for um, um, thanks for everybody for joining me and sticking with me here tonight. I'll try not to go over too much. Uh, I'm going to try to be disciplined about my time, but we had to finish talking about that scene, right? Um, yeah, we'll get to Frogmorton, Holders. I, I promise. I promise we'll get to Frogmorton. Um, uh, very good. So, thanks everybody uh, uh, for for joining me tonight, and I will see you guys next week. Chapter two. Don't forget, you've got actual extra more reading to do this week. So, uh, make sure you you go ahead into chapter two. Thanks everybody. Bye now.